Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I love you more today than yesterday. Hey! The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. <laughs> It is Friday, November 15th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein, Sun-Times reefer writer Tom Shuba returns. And it's the host of the Heartland Mamas podcast, the Heartland Mamas, Heidi Henry and Murray Breel. And now your host, cousin of the Heartland Mamas, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this The Show Starts Early Friday. And here's... Why? Would have been the case if you would have found your headphones. Uh, so anyway, here's the reason why the show started early. All right. So there I was. Let me set the scene for you folks in radio. This is called a scene setter. Did they even call that in radio? No. I don't know. Whatever. I just no. made that up. Uh, so there I was on the blue line getting ready to. Yes. Uh, that's my way of telling you, D. I didn't drive today. I took the train. So I'm waiting on the blue line for the Damn train. Damn it. <laughs> Come on. You know, that you love that part of the commute where you go, uh, look at my building. Uh, anyway, so there I am on the blue line waiting for the train. And this gentleman comes up to me with his clipboards. All right. No, and it was not Pat Quinn. All right. It was some other guy who had like, I'm not kidding. I want to say six or seven or eight clipboards. He was uh, oh collecting Lord. signatures for various candidates to get him on the ballot. Uh, judicial candidates, water wreck candidates. I, I think Dennis is running for water wreck. And yeah, uh, we're trying to get you to run for water wreck. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I forgot. Uh, so anyway, he was, um, he was asking me to sign his petition. Now, I have a a situation here. I have a, a little requirement that I have when people ask me to sign uh, petitions. I'm happy to sign a signature and put my signature on the petition, but I want something in return. Come on, quid pro quo, as Donald Trump would say. It's transactional Chicago politics. If you are going to get me to sign your petitions, you are going to have to play trivia with me. Polit <laughs> political trivia. Oh, so I said to the guy, I go, all right, look, I'll sign your petitions if you can answer the following trivia question. Now, most guys are like, oh, come on, man. They're like, you're weird. I just picture a guy holding eight clipboards. Like, you're serious right now? No, you know what he said? Bring it. Oh, wow. I like this guy. All right, bring it. Let's see what you got, son, because I know my politics, he says. I said, where are you from? He goes, well, you know, by the way, Cecil Partee was my cousin. 
Now, Cecil Partee is a name from the past that I would guarantee you, D, that 99% of the people that come in this studio do not know, with the possible exception of Jake Kaplan and Danny P, because they're the political know-it-alls, right? But Cecil Partee, back in the day, was the uh, state uh, senator, president of the state senate. This is appropriate, because Johnny Cullerton is stepping down. I know you'll be wanting to talk about that later, but back in the day, Cecil Partee was the president of the state senate, so I say to this guy, all right? So you uh, know about Cecil Partee? Yes. All right. What ward's he from? 20th. Who is his alderman? Cliff Kelly. Who succeeded Cliff Kelly? Uh, he's like, ah. Oh, you know how people go, ah, oh, I don't know. I go, ah, uh-uh. that does not constitute a correct answer. I don't know. It's not the name of the alderman. This guy's it got was... a, a countdown in his head of when to just walk <laughs> away from you. Meanwhile, by the way, he needs me to sign these petitions, and the train's coming. All right? You know, I'm having this conversation. I can't miss the train because I'll be late for the studio. So he's like, uh, I said, nope. He goes, uh, I, I said, uh-uh, you can't remember. Does not uh, constitute a correct answer. It was a Renda Troutman. And that's when this guy trumped my ace. He oh, said, no. no, before Renda Troutman, it was Lock em Up Jones. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Lock em Up Jones, Ernie Jones, former police uh, police officer, was the ottoman of the 15th Ward. He goes, no, he wasn't. He was the 20th Ward. I go, 15th, 20th. We made a bet right there on the subway platform. Meanwhile, choo-choo, choo-choo, that's a train coming into the station. So I signed like as hurriedly as I could. I go, you did well enough. Signed this petition and that petition and this one. Meanwhile, he's we're, we we get off into trivia from the 42nd Ward because apparently oh, he knows. Thank God I wasn't there. <laughs> you would have been like, oh my God, like really? Oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, 42nd Ward. George Dunn was the committee man. Burton Terrace was the alderman. Jesse White started out as the state rep. Come on, D, I know my stuff. I signed like four of the uh, the petitions. Jump on the train. Come here to the studio, and while we're doing prep, and Dr. D is tough on me when we do show prep. Like he's like, "Get this ready, get that ready." Be <laughs> there's certain days. There's days where I, I can tell you're on it and you've woken up and you're good. Then there's days where you're just whoa, like okay. By the way, can I give a shout out to Mark Sims? He was the one who woke me up this morning at the ungodly early hour of ten to ten, and uh, <laughs> talked to me about. See what I got to work with, guys. Ten till ten. I was up late last night. All right, man. I couldn't see what sleep. I got to work with, guys. Up late last night. <laughs> It was about four in the morning I was up. Yeah, okay. All right. Let's see if you were up at four in the morning. Anyway, so I hop on the train. I come down here. Dr. D's going, get ready for the show. We got to do this. We got to do that. Yes, sir. Brian Ernst, the brain comes in. We got to do this. We got to do that. Like we're having a pre-show prep preparation. They have a discussion about the show because no detail is left untouched here at the Ben Jarofsky Show. Meanwhile, what, (laughs) what am I doing? I'm going back into my little phone internet to see who is right, me or Jerome, the guy in the tracks. Can I just say something? Hate to say it. I was wrong, and Jerome was right. Yes, Lock Up Jones was the alderman of the 20th Ward after Cliff Kelly. He was before Arenda Troutman. <sighs> Jerome, you were right. I was wrong. I think I'll probably see you next week on the Blue Line platform because I'm sure you'll be circulating petitions. In which case, I'm going to invite him to come on the show. I was going to say, Jerome sounds like he would like our show. Did you give him a link to listen? I, I couldn't because I was so busy signing his... But, yeah. but he gave me his phone number. Okay. So to reach out, bring him on the show. There and uh, he knows a lot. <laughs> I'll tell you what. He knows a lot about politics. And I'll say this about that. I wish 
everybody in the city of Chicago cared as much about Chicago politics as Jerome. We've got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here. Yes, that Ramana. She took last Friday off. We gave her the Friday off. The, we're tough here on the Ben Jarosky yeah. show, but she's coming back. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of, of uh, criminal justice uh, news in the newspaper, and get her thoughts on uh, Journalism Gate. Uh, and... Uh, Dennis's favorite guest, young Thomas Tommy Shuba, uh, who's also known as Mr. Reefer. Uh, he covers the Reefer beat for the Chicago Sun-Times, more, knows more about Reefer than anyone in the state of Illinois, and he'll be coming <laughs> to talk about all the ups and downs in Reefer law. Just legal. Well, they did legalize it, I guess, but it is kind of comical to watch the state of Illinois uh, stumble over this uh, issue. Should have been legalized 50 years ago, but I guess better late than Ever. Anyway, hey, maybe uh, after the show, I'll ask him that one pressing question about Reefer. <laughs> hey, dude, you got me? No, I'm sure you're going to ask that one like three times. Uh, young Thomas is, uh, <laughs> he doesn't hear that joke too often. <laughs> uh, he covers the Reefer beat, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it's not a joke. I'll be serious. Yeah, I know. Hey, come on, Tommy. Huh? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm a professional journalist, all right? I just cover the beat. I don't smoke uh, it. Mr. Shuba, uh, where, where do we eat at? <laughs> Uh, and then the Heartland Mamas will be here. Oh, my God, I cannot wait. Murray Briel and Heidi Henry, uh, the pride and joy of Oswego, way out out in the bur- the boonies. They're probably on their way right now driving. Oh, there they are. And don't oh. call it the boonies. That's a little offensive, right? Is it? I don't know. Sounds like the sticks, the boonies. I don't know. We want to. Let's ask them. Okay. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'm, I apologize to every guy. I got in trouble. The show's not even ten minutes old. I'm already in trouble. I couldn't find the headphones. They were under the newspaper. Anyway, I love the Heartland Mamas, and they'll be here. We'll be talking a lot of public, but doing a lot of uh, politic, political talk about Johnny Cullerton stepping down as state senator with them. Because, you know, Heidi Henry ran for senator, state senator. And let me just remind folks, she ran in uh, Trump country got 41 percent of the vote as a new deal democrat so uh, heidi henry is my kind of democrat we'll be talking about all the political issues today so political talk ahead of us state national local all that good stuff but before we do any of it the young man from all the man they call the doctor with the news when you say they <laughs> who are you really uh, talking about there jerome oh jerome. he's like hey do you know the doctor i go see him every day okay <laughs> tell the doctor i said hi kobe white of the chicago bulls he goes do you know the doctor yeah i know the doctor everybody calls you the doctor I'm Dennis. Okay, for the fourth and final time this week, let's unpack the news happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. No public event scheduled for our Illinois Governor, J.B. Pritzker. And for the record, I love puppies. (laughs) And typically, this is where I would ask our host, Ben Jarofsky, what he thinks. What's so funny? I love that J.B. Pritzker bit. <laughs> Where's it from? It's from a commercial? Yeah, yeah. It was, like was an running ad. For, yeah. yeah, yeah. I Cause love remember, it. Okay, Because Bruce Rauner put out an ad that was like ridiculous, saying like, he doesn't like puppies. Ugh. Remember that? Yeah, and I then, vaguely remember. And then Pritzker put out. And for the record, <laughs> I love puppies. Wait, could you just do your Bruce Rauner invitation? <laughs> now, typically, this is where I would ask our host, Ben Jarofsky, what he thinks Governor Pritzker is doing right now at this very second. But the answer is obvious. He's listening to the Ben Jarofsky that show. That is correct. So I'm going to switch it up a bit here. Okay. Ben, since he listens to the program so much, but not really, who is J.B. Pritzker's favorite Ben Jarofsky show guest? Whoa, that is a great question. It caught me off guard. That- could have thrown that at me at the pre-show prep, but no, no, no. Well, you're busy looking for your headphones. I, but you know what? 
I think he's a huge fan. It's a tie. I think he's a huge fan between Maya and Monroe. You oh, know, Maya he likes Moscow Maya. And you know, Anderson. yeah, really? you know, Maya's got that generational, that uh, uh, millennial fire. You know, burn down the house type of fire. Monroe has the wisdom of years, uh, many years covering and following Chicago politics. So he likes it. But he, you know, he could, you know what he. I'll tell you who he loves, David Seaton. Did David Seaton rock kill it yesterday? Oh, he, was great. I mean, he was awesome. David Seaton was a great guest. If you missed yesterday's show, make sure to download it. Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download podcasts. Yeah. Uh, and I think we'll drop uh, we'll do one of our famous night drops. I love the night drops, oh. man. It's for all you nighttime listeners out. Remember when in the old show? Wait, the one uh, that fired you, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, WC you later. later, yeah. Uh, Dennis had this great gag. I love this thing he did. Okay, so in that show, that show was live, but then they uh, replayed it at night. Oh, yeah. And then so Dennis would do this, uh, hey, you truckers out there, I'll drive and listen to the show. Uh, this is for you. Remember that little bit you used to yeah, do? Yeah, and I'd play like the nighttime effects. I would do it right now, but uh, like, I don't know. I'm worried about copyright issues, so <laughs> I got to find our own little nighttime noise. Oh, yeah, yeah. We play, yeah. I see what you're I saying. I can get it off YouTube, yeah. so you know. Um, anyway, that was a funny bit. I used to love that bit. Uh, anyway, so yeah, nighttime drops, nighttime listeners, people like me up late at night you know i know i'm not the only one who's up late at night okay now i know mark sims is up early he's you know by the way if, wait hold on pritzker loves when mark sims comes on the show you know when mark comes in bringing candy and cookies and so he loves mark oh, sims what well. are you trying to say here because he brings candy and cookies that uh it's his favorite <laughs> guest what are you trying to say ben i i wasn't saying that okay. about the grilling how about okay. how about, how about okay. that okay anyway Obviously, the answer is Terry Cosgrove. But anyway. Oh, right. TC, put your big boy pants on. He loves Terry Cosgrove, and boy, Terry Cosgrove loves J.B. Pritzker. That's correct. Uh, Toy Hutchinson as well, a big fan of J.B. JB gave her, made her the uh, reefer czar. Did you know that? Yes, you did know that. I know you knew that. In statewide news, Ben mentioned it earlier, Illinois Senate President John Cullerton had some big news. He told his Democratic colleagues during the Senate Democratic Caucus on Thursday, the final day of the veto session, that he will be vetoing himself from Illinois politics. John Cullerton announced that he will be retiring in January. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tina Fondellas. In a statement, Cullerton said he, quote, can humbly brag that we have made great strides while he was president and worked with Republicans to pass two capital bills, marriage equality, abolishing the death penalty and pension, school funding, and immigration reform. And hey, there he is. Governor J.B. Pritzker on Thursday called Cullerton, quote, a passionate advocate for improving Illinois, whether it was his focus on ending the scourge of youth smoking, dedication to fully funding education, or efforts to advance critically needed infrastructure throughout the state. All right. John Cullerton, state senator from the north side of Chicago, comes from a long line of Cullertons that have been around in politics in the city of Chicago forever. And uh, I believe I was in his district at one time, young Dennis. I believe I was in Johnny Cullerton's uh, district. He was like the nice guy. Madigan was the, what are they, you know, the tough cop and the good cop. Madigan was the tough cop and everybody hated Madigan. I can't, why can't Madigan be more like Cullerton? And so, of course, me, you know, everybody's going this way. I'm going to go the other way. I like Madigan. Oh, 
Now he's just a very old cop. Yeah. No, he's, well, we'll see who replaces Johnny Cullerton. But I, that was the role he played. He was like, I get along with everybody. I'm okay. And he was basically Mayor Rahm's favorite state senator because he did, you know, he carried Rahm's water, as they say. And uh, John, young John Cullerton is the reason why we don't have an elected school board uh, in the city of Chicago because he they would pass the House and then die in the Senate because Cullerton was doing uh, Mayor Rahm's business. So, you know, I kind of got mixed feelings about John Cullerton. Uh, his record as a progressive, I don't think was that great. But he was, you know, he was a friendly guy. Great imitations. Oh my God, he's the life of the party. He really? Could, oh, he could do imitations. He'd do imitations of Daily, uh, Baby Daily, uh, and he could do imitations of all kinds. Do, do a Terry Cosgrove imitation? Oh yeah. wow, better uh, than yours? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Does he do uh, a Ben Jarofsky? I don't think he does a Ben Jarofsky. I think he pretty much tries to ignore Ben Jarofsky. I have not been welcomed by all my... It's hard to be... I love Democrats. I've been voting for Democrats forever and ever. I call myself a Democrat. But D, the people that run the Democratic Party have not always liked me. Did you know that? <laughs> I got the idea. They do not like me. So, uh, I mean, you know, they put up with me, I guess. But, uh, yeah, John Cullerton was my state senator. Mm-hmm. Cullerton began his legislative career in 1978 in the Illinois House. He has served as the Senate president since 2009. Now, you knew this next portion of the story was coming. The guy announced he's retiring yesterday. Not even 24 <laughs> hours later, we already have a few names out there rumored to be looking to replace Cullerton as Senate president. As of right now, there are six names. All right, hold on. Before you do this, trivia question for you, young man. For 10 trivia points and breakfast at that Waffle House in Madison, which I passed again today. Man, does that place look good, by the way. Uh, Joe Colley, I think we have a bet going on that I may end up having to uh, buy you. Because I said Kobe White was going to be the rookie of the year. I think I'm going to owe you breakfast. Enough sports. What's the question? All right. The question is this. Which Chicago journalist broke the Johnny Cullerton story? Franz Spielman. Eh. Who else? Sneed. Oh, God. It's always Sneed. Remember when Quinn announced he was running for attorney general? <laughs> he dropped it on Sneed. Wait, I, and we had Pat Quinn as a guest. I go, Pat, we didn't, you know, give us the scoop. <laughs> Remember his response? <laughs> that was kind of his response. Damn you, uh, Sneed. I know. She got it again. She got the scoop. So there you go. But we already have a few names out there rumored mm-hmm. to be looking to replace Cullerton as Senate president. Right now, there are six names. Six. Ben, before we list these names, uh, are there any senators out there, any names that come to mind when you think of the next Democratic Senate president? No. Negatory. I can't think. I mean, the most, the guy who's, I think, is closest to Cullerton and sort of his background is uh, the Oak Park State Senator Don Harmon, who's a committeeman uh, from Oak Park. Uh, he is a lawyer. You know, he's of a centrist. Uh, he's a Dem. You know, Dems. You ever hear about Dems? All my millennial lefty friends, they call them Dems. Dems. Uh, and uh, so I, when I, you know, when I think of the type, I think of uh, Don Harmon. In other words, it comes from a liberal district. Liberal, not lefty. Liberal. Get the difference? There's lefties and there's liberals. And sometimes they're mixed and mingled as one. Uh, Lefties are like Bernie people. Liberals are like uh, Obama people, if you follow what I'm saying. So uh, I would think Don Harmon is the most like John Cullerton. uh, The most like, you know, most likely. Who's the most likely to bottle up an elected school board bill that a mayor wants? 
I would say uh, John Cullerton, Don Harmon would be like, kind of take, take care of Lori Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. That's just me talking, okay? So that'd be my guess is the most like Cullerton. All right, he says Don Harmon. Let's go over our six names here, starting with... Number one. <laughs> and look at the brain on Ben Jarofsky. Our first rumored person to be taking John Cullerton's gig is Senate President Senator Don Harmon. By the way, we did not do any show prep on this one. I just, you know, I'm winging it here. So, wow. <laughs> Don't admit you're winging it. Don Harmon is skilled in managing the legislative process and equally as important, the campaign funding process or, or fundraising process. The Oak Park State Senator and Governor J.B. Pritzker are political allies going back more than 25 years when they are part of the Democratic leadership for the 21st century, DL21C. The group worked to steer the party away. DL what? DL21C. That's Democratic leadership oh, for the 21st century. Whoa, get Shubin the bong out with that one. <laughs> DLs. Good DL21C. Uh. like a computer. <laughs> oh, we're really hip. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. The group worked to steer the party away from uh, ward politics. Yeah, right. All right. It was ward politics that elected half of these guys in the first place. Don't get me started about these young whippersnappers who are so... Hey, the Jeromes of the world who were getting those, that, those are the guys at the heart and soul of the Democratic Party doing the dirty work, getting those signatures, guys. Don't act like ward politics is somehow dirty business. Come on. All right, so that's our first possible candidate, Don Harmon. Up next. Number two. (laughs) Up next is my pick, my personal favorite. He's a downstater and almost certain. Our phone numbers share the same area code. 618, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Senator Andy Menar out of Bunker Hill, Illinois. We used to play Bunker Hill in high school. That is correct. Menar also has the legislative chops and is well-liked by fellow senators. He would bring downstate diversity to leadership. He is far removed for the corruption scandals that have swirled around Chicago lawmakers. The challenge might be in fundraising. It's difficult to tap business execs for donations. If you live downstate. Why? I don't know. I mean, we have telephones. You can call anybody. Uh, uh, yeah, that's your guy. You love. Did we ever have him on the old show? Never. Never. You always say, hey, you get. But I tell you, folks, if you know how bossy this guy is. Did you get Andy Benar yet? I'm trying. Get him. All right. Uh, his big thing, of course, was education reform. He's always talking about re, uh, getting more money f- uh, from the state to the public schools or redistributing the money more fairly and equitably. Yeah, let's make him the guy. All right. Downstate. 618, all right? Let's do 618. Uh, Big Andy Menard fan, huh? Well, I really don't know much about the guy other than he was uh, from downstate. I I have respect for any Democrat from downstate because there's a Trump country. So it's like young Dennis. You have to know how to get along with all different kinds of people. And uh, that's one of Dennis's strong suits. Coming from downstate, uh, so he's got... Trump friends and uh, like libertarian friends, right, D? They're not all lefties and liberals. So a guy like Menard, right there, "Mm, I'm attracted to that. Democrats could use more of that. That's why you have Heidi Henry coming in. Well, if you're so attracted, why are you coming in and have him on the show? As I recall, it was he, I couldn't get him on the phone. Hold on, let me call you. Andy, get here. Now. I can't remember. That, dude, that was a year ago that you were bugging me to get him on the oh, show. I'll never forget. <laughs> Moving on. Number, Number three. three. Yeah. Up next, it's Senator LG Sims. Oh, from Chicago. Yeah, his district includes Chicago's Chatham neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Sims has served as chair of the Council of <laughs> State Government's Midwestern Legislative Conference. Uh, by the way, that would be uh, the COSGMLC. <laughs> 
9326C. But uh, anyway, uh, he's with that conference there. So he understands the challenge of managing a group of opinionated lawmakers. All right. On to our next rumored Illinois Democratic Senate president hopeful. Number four. Oh, you know this name here. Senator Heather Staines. Oh, Heather Staines from the north side of Chicago. She has the legislative skills and the cachet to raise cash, but it's not known yet whether she's eager to jump into the top Senate job. Staines will be a power player no matter what she decides, given she has uh, contributed substantial cash contributions to Cullerton over the years, and he in turn spread the wealth. Staines' father is the late Harrison Staines who was a successful Chicago bank investor. Yes, he's a, success, a successful Chicago so banker. What do you think about the, the Heather uh, Ramana Hussein has uh, entered the room. Ramana Hussein is being considered as a possible contender I for heard that. Uh, to re- replace Cullerton as president of the Senate. Uh, I, I, Heather Staines, now that would be very similar to Cullerton as well. North side liberal, north side a democratic liberal. Uh, you probably very close to the mayor would uh, carry the mayor's water uh in um springfield so yeah i could see heather stains being very similar to cullerton heather stains cullerton and Harmon are all sort of cut from the same cloth by the way uh, uh lg sims is a is an attorney and in the beginning of the show i was mentioning cecil party who was the committeeman from the 20th ward many years ago but uh there is some tradition of black senators from chicago uh holding this position cecil party held it in the 70s and emil jones held it i want to say in the 90s and into the o's so uh you know, maybe we should go back to, to that tradition. I kind of like that tradition. I'm right now. I'm like your guy, your boy, the six one eight Menar, and uh, a, a black uh, senator from uh, maybe Sims or uh, Emil Jones Jr. Emil Jones, the son of uh, Emil Jones, is in there. So you know, that's kind of where I am right now. D. Moving on, number, number five. five. Senator Melinda Bushoff of Bush, Gr- Bush just, the USH. Oh, oh, I didn't separate Bush of Gray's Lake. Yeah. It was all one word That's there. Okay. Bush of. Yeah. No, <laughs> Melinda Bush of Greg's, uh, Gray's Lake. She was outspoken about Cullerton needing to dismiss Senator Martin Sandoval from the powerful Transportation Committee, given he was under investigation by the feds. And finally, number six, Senator Kimberly Lightford. No, not Lightfoot. Lightford. <laughs> from the Western she, Suburbs. She's the current Senate Majority Leader, would be a natural to a apply for the job as with any early exit from office. Democratic Party leaders will decide who will replace Cullerton. And I can hear State Rep. Louis Arroyo screaming right now because Cullerton will also likely have an unofficial say in the matter as well. And speaking of, because it's Illinois and you know our reputation, if there's one piece of advice that we here on the Ben Jarofsky Show could give to these potential replacements for Senate President Cullerton, it's this. Don't be corrupt. <laughs> God, we got enough of that going on. Oh, well, you have to tell, give them that as advice. And also, because it's Illinois, I must ask the following question. Mm-hmm. Benny J., with all this damn dirty corruption happening in our state, and with federal agents here so much that they may be renting Illinois apartments, does this sudden <laughs> retirement announcement from Cullerton give you any suspicion? Do you think he may be getting out before an investigation begins on him? Well, man, I got to tell you. 
for a guy who's not from Chicago, you're as cynical. Oh, I've lived here long enough. You are <laughs> as cynical as Ramana Hussein, okay? Uh, I don't think they're, I do not, I'm going to say this, I do not think he's one step ahead. I just, that's my personal opinion. May sound naive doing that. Now, you know, Johnny Colerton, I don't know if you know this. Uh, see, Madigan was, like I said, the bad cop. Colerton was the good cop. So the Tribune would always be writing about uh, Michael Madigan's uh, property tax business, you know, which, and rightfully so. I wrote about it too. And the Sun Times has written about it. Oh, Mr. Cullerton had a property tax business as well. Did you know that? In other words, he would be, you know, going, his law firm was specialized in getting property tax breaks for big town, big downtown real, uh, real estate interests. So, you know, maybe it's a good idea not to have a state Senate president who has a property tax appeal business. I'm just throwing out out there is like, you want to take a break from the past. Uh, that might be a good idea. Let's move away from the model of property tax lawyers. What do you think about that, D? I think it sounds good. All right. Very so good. it sounds like your answer to my question was maybe. I don't think so. I'm, you know what, at the risk of sounding naive and, um, I just, I just think he's getting out. But you know what? Every cynical Chicago journalist out there uh, disagrees with me on, when that, on that one. I could just read the vibrations coming out of Romana's head right now. Every Chicago journalist has just got this instinct. You don't believe anything that you hear. You don't believe it's legit. And I understand. I, I kind of subscribe to that same notion uh, to a certain degree. You always think there's an inside story. Uh, but uh, I personally, just saying, I'm going to put this on the record. Boy, you're going to hold this one. If it turns out I'm wrong, aren't you going to oh, play yeah. this oh, one yeah. back oh, at yeah. me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, no, I think he's just getting out. And as naive as that sounds. So there you are. The latest in what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois. Sayonara, John Cullerton. In January. <laughs> well, in yet. January. <laughs> yeah. And just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally. We'll keep you posted on those stories as today's program rolls along. People don't go anywhere because coming up after this short little break... Ramana Hussein's here. It's the Ramana Rundown. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. 
Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. He loves that Jeff Manuel. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm not the only one who's back. Romana Hussein is back. Romana Hussein is back. Romana, we missed you last week. I know. I missed you guys, too. And uh, but, yeah, That was nice. That was really nice of you to say that. Uh, and uh, you were you went out to, you went west, you went to the Grand Canyon, yes. you went to Vegas, and you won about uh, $500,000 on roulette. Is that, did I get that no, right? No, I, n- I never... I, you know, the one first time I went to Las Vegas, I didn't even, I did, I decided to do the slot machines. I don't gamble, I, you know, it's against Islam. So my parents weren't like gamblers or anything. And my brother was all about poker and he's like, oh, Las Vegas is so fun. And he was doing, he had some sort of um, externship. He's an optometrist. So he had something in California. So me and my younger sister were helping him like move stuff to California. It was like on a road trip. And I'd never been to Las Vegas, neither my younger sister. And we're like, this is so cheesy. We're just, we just complained about how cheesy it was. But we did try the slot machines. And I was telling my mom, I go, we didn't even know what we're doing. We apparently won some money at some point. And we're like, wait, is that how you do it? And well, it's pretty funny you say it's against yeah. Islam. Because one of the kids I used to play poker with back in the day. Uh... Was Muslim. <laughs> yeah, my brother, play, my brother plays poker, too. And my parents were yeah. like, why are you doing that? But it's not like he was like a major poker player oh, or anything man. like that. But I, I, uh, I'm a him and his friends would play it. Reform gambler. And I don't touch it anymore. It's, I don't know. I I don't know what you how you feel about Las Vegas, but it's just so cheesy. I don't know. It's just like looking at the people at the slot machines. I can remember the first time I, went, I was telling Mick, I was like, "Oh, everybody looks so bad." Because he's like, "Well, this isn't Hollywood." Because I thought everybody would be all glamorous and and there, we saw this woman. So we're staying at a hotel and we saw this woman like passed out, <laughs> like old woman. And this one guy had his like colonoscopy bag tied up oh. while he's playing. So it's kind of no. after a, after a few minutes, it, it looks kind of depressing. And I, it is I know depressing. some people. I know some people love Vegas, but. It, and, and it's the, good to see, but I can't get, I don't get it. I got news for you. It's depressing. It's coming to Chicago. We're not, that's not yeah. one of our things to talk about, but the casino will come to Chicago. It's taking a while to iron out all the details. <laughs> and uh, it is depressing. And it is depressing to think that we as a civilization need to rely on gambling proceeds yeah. to fund our government. But that's a reality. Yeah, yeah, people spend money. They, they're addicted. I it's mean, that's addiction. the thing. You see people, Mick went out running, Mick, my husband went out running and he told me he saw like, homelessness and people like you know they probably sell all their proceeds you know they waste all their money and then they end up yeah you know well that's why i'm a reformed uh gambler and i did not know that yes i talk about it from time to time i used to love going to the horse track anyway that's all part of my past my aunt cindy said she went to las vegas last week it sounds like you saw her at the (laughs) stop it aunt cindy she's a big listener to this show we love her dearly 
Uh, what was the uncle's name? My uncle Eldon. Eldon. <laughs> and that little Denny. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. Now, uh, we have a whole list of things I want to talk to you about. Uh, one thing I love talking about is journalism. Ramana Hussein uh, was, for years, criminal justice reporter uh, here at the Sun-Times. She began her career at the Sun-Times. She was uh, the investigator. They call them leg, leg women, in your case, for uh, Steve. I actually didn't start here, but... Uh, here, but at the I didn't one. start at the Sun Times. I no, started at Sydney News. Started, oh yeah, yeah. I started my career at the Sun Times. Started as Michael yeah. Sneeds. Don't correct me, young lady. <laughs> I was gonna say I, I'm not like I didn't get hired here out of college. I, t- I was told I'll never get a job here out of college. That's generally what they tell you. Uh, and uh, so we had uh, uh, on uh, Tuesday, Maya weighed in, and she was very passionate on the issue of uh, journalism gate. Uh, by the way, we're going to do a, a bonus segment interviewing uh, some of the Northwestern uh, reporters uh, who are, are dealing with um, the fallout. Anyway, I know this is something that all journalists have opinions on. Yeah. And Ramana uh, is, uh, has a lot of opinions. So what's your thoughts on uh, Journalism Gate? I was fairly restrained on my response on social media. I'm not, I weigh in on certain things, but I don't weigh in that much because I told you I'm I'm afraid to talk about my opinions because I'm very old school, but sometimes I do. And this is, so it happened on Monday night, I think it. You know, I I didn't do a good job. Just explain exactly what happened. Okay, so sorry. Um, Northwestern University, I was told that they, their newspaper, The Daily, is not affiliated with the Medill School of Journalism. It's a separate entity. Um, students had covered a protest um, involving, this is Jeff Sessions came to speak at Northwestern, and there were a lot of counter-protests for his appearance there. And uh, a lot of students were very passionate about it. And, you know, the students were, these are people who were obviously speaking out against Sessions and in, invariably, I guess, Donald Trump. So they were out there protesting and Northwestern did a stu- uh, you know, Northwestern reporters were contacting protesters who were out there. And it seems apparently from what I understand and what I've been told, there was a backlash or a lot of people from that. A lot of those students who were protesting were angry that they were being contacted and um, asked and had their pictures taken and were, you know, was out in the daily, the daily and so I don't know if it was, did they do a story on it? I was going to ask you. Did yes. they, they actually did a story. So, they did several stories. So the editor in chief, who is actually a great, he was a great former intern, Troy Clausen. I, I might be mispronouncing his name. I apologize to Troy if I am. And I know one of the photographers who erased pictures of, you know, the protesters off his Twitter page, um, Colin Boyle. Mm-hmm. He's also a former Sometimes intern. So I know both of these young men and I worked with them and they're very talented. I can tell you that much. Um, And so Troy, I believe, is the editor in chief. He's an uh, African-American young man. He put, um, I don't know who wrote the um, editorial and he took responsibility for it on Twitter. I don't know if you saw, but he basically put out a statement with the staff. Like the staff is listed under there. And he mentioned, um, he apologized for, you know, reaching out and said it was an invasion of privacy. And I don't know if he did, but this is what the letter said. And the letter basically was apologizing, said they want to be sensitive to certain matters, which I understand, which is actually great because a lot of journalists in the past past didn't have empathy but a lot of reporters had issues with um northwestern the daily sorry the daily apologizing for contacting students and covering the protest they said this is not what you're supposed this is not what this is it goes against everything the freedom of press and what it means so a lot of people so there was a lot of journalists going online and just 
venting mm-hmm. and going crazy. And so I actually saw it on my Twitter on Monday night when it started blowing up. It was like 10 o'clock. I should, there's a sidetrack to this because um, there was a Washington Post reporter who wrote about um, something that was happening in India. And so I responded to that. And Indian Twitter is very great, is very passionate also. And so my, my Twitter feed started blowing up, people calling me names and stuff like that. So I, that's why I looked at my Twitter at 11 o'clock at night. And that's when the Northwestern Daily Story started, you know, hitting people. At it. And so I, you know, there were a lot of reporters who were, you know, a lot of people had issues with reporters going after these young students because they were they are students. And I even talked to a reporter here, columnist, I won't say his name, but he told me he he thought it was The Onion when he read what The Daily had. <laughs> and he said he wanted to weigh in on Twitter too, but he said, you know, they're, they're kids. And you know, technically they're not kids, but they are a lot younger. And a lot of people were saying, you know, we've all done stupid things when we're young. It's not stupid. I'm not saying these guys are stupid, but we've done things that weren't necessarily right. And I know there are some journalists and I, I'm included in this pack. I mean, if I read some of my stuff that I wrote mm-hmm. in my late teens, early twenties, um, I don't necessarily agree with them. So I don't agree with the editorial. I, I don't agree with the backlash either mm-hmm. against these students. I think, um, I think, it's wrong to go after certain people for certain things. I mean, and you know, there was this ESPN reporter who had a thread on this incident and his was one of the best ones. I don't know if you guys saw it, Mm -hmm. but he basically said, I think going after student journalists is kind of punching down. But then he said, let me tell you a story about why we try to contact people who we think might not want to be contacted. And he talked about this, his first, one of his first stories he did about a young woman who died, um, it was a suicide and we usually don't cover suicides, but he, I, I don't know what the reason was why the Baltimore Sun covered this. And then he kind of talked about, you know, contacting this woman, getting this woman's story out there. And it, it was a really good thread. I thought it was a very good, thoughtful thread. And I thought that the dean, uh, Whitaker. Whitaker, Charles Whitaker, correct? Um, the dean of Medill. School of Journalism, yes. dean, yeah, or he's not the dean of Northwestern, right? He's, he's dean, dean of, of the Medill. journalism school. Yeah, I went to Medill, by the way, as a graduate student. Uh, let's get that out there. Uh, disclosure, <laughs> as they say, full disclosure. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. because I didn't know how journalism worked, and I just finished undergrad, so it was probably not the right thing to do. I should have worked a couple of years, but I did go there as a young 22-year-old, and I don't think I was the best writer in the world, and 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 so I did go to that school. I didn't take it that personally. Some a lot of journalists told me the reason they went after, like went so vociferously against, you know, this is because they worked at the Daily, and they went to Northwestern. They just felt like, well, they I, they just felt like, what are they teaching these kids at school these days? And I had, and just to tell you, I did have this happen to me mm-hmm. before. Where okay, so do you remember the Laquan? Obviously, you do remember Laquan McDonald. Then when the Laquan McDonald tape was released and Jason Van Dyke was charged, there was all these protests that happened in 2015. Mm-hmm. And there was this young man named Malcolm uh, London mm-hmm. who was uh, accused of uh, punching a cop, but then this, uh, the state's attorneys dropped th- those charges. And so there's a lot of activists who are supporting him outside the courthouse. And I remember covering that incident when he was released or when he was like came out of court one day. And there was this young woman who hugged him. And I took a picture. I got a really close-up picture. And I took a picture. I tweeted. I was tweeting pictures of the demonstrations going outside 26 and Cal. And she tweeted me. And she said, asked me to take the picture down. And I said, why? 
And she said, I never gave you permission to use my picture. And I said, well, this is a public protest. And I think I have the right to take pictures at a public protest. Mm -hmm. And I didn't back down. I didn't. And and it stayed on your Twitter feed. Yeah, I I could understand. You know, I have taken things down or taken things out of my articles if I feel like it's a threat or it's, you know, unnecessary and someone has a good argument as Mm -hmm. to why I shouldn't have that in there. And I've talked to my editors about it before I take stuff like that out. But, you know. We're sensitive to that, but I under, there's like just so many issues in this. I think it's okay for journalists to criticize student journalists. It's just the way that it's done. It well, needs to be. You need to be supportive of these young journalists because they are they are learning. I've put it to you this way: as the oldest journalist in this room, the knee jerk reaction that so many people in the profession had against the Northwestern uh, journalist really irritated me. Because it's as though working journalists are not supposed to reconsider at any moment how they go about their lives. And I'll tell you this, on any given day, the newspapers are filled with stories, filled with stories in which there are blind quotes, people who have cut deals with individual reporters, powerful people from City Hall or Congress. So they know how the game is played. So journalists are always, like this notion that there's this abstract ideal we're oh no we're above (laughs) it all we just collect information no man you guys are down in you got to see how the sausage is made you're cutting deals with city hall of course but don't you think covering a protest that should be fine i i believe you're just you're just saying you're getting mad at the you're getting mad at the journalists who are on their high horse i I get that but also wait i also think i also think that journalists should approach people they don't know who are in the public for the first time with sort of the same respect uh, that well, they that they approach somebody at City Hall who they will they have a transactional relationship with you're dealing with somebody at City Hall the criminal courts building or anywhere you know you're gonna have to come back to that person for information on a regular yeah. basis so you set out ground rules and so you treat them with a certain amount of respect because you know down the road you're gonna need them I think just as a given when you go and you're dealing with people who are in the street and who are protesting, you should just accord them a, a bit of the same respect. Of course. That, okay. But do you think taking pictures of them is okay? Uh, yeah. I think yeah. taking pictures of so, them is absolutely okay. But I also think there's nothing wrong with going up to them and saying, I took a picture of you. Do you yeah. have an objection to it? And if, if they say, no, I'm, I have an objection to it. But do you it. say that when you're at, when I'm covering it, when I'm at 26 in California and there's a former alderman or alderman that's been charged with something and they're walking by in the area, there's a, in, at 26 in Cal, there's a designated area where you have to take pictures. What if I take a picture of them? Is that okay? And what if they tell me to erase their pictures? Oh, uh, that's, I would say that falls into the category of different. So uh, no, it, I'm just saying it's no. I know you, I know what you're saying, and, and I, I and I agree with you about journalists being on their high horse because I it bothers me too. But the people, the journalists who are critiquing the other journalists are the ones who are always on Twitter complaining about everybody else. Right, so well, it's like I'm just saying a lot of people who are going on their high horse about journalists going on their high horse are always <laughs> going on the high horse about everybody else uh, about yeah. other journalists and you know that's I'm the best point. and yeah. that's and, a valid point. Yeah. So I'm just saying there's always people criticizing everyone and i did have some friends who were very like measured in the way they criticize so it's not like everybody and so a lot of these a lot of these people who are criticizing the older journalists are younger journalists who are always criticizing the older journalists so it's like 
okay, so only certain people, only you can criticize people yeah, and nobody else absolutely. can criticize anyone. And I just thought it was just so, it was a nightmare. It, and, and I'll tell and you that like, you're, you're absolutely correct. It's like everybody, it's a free country. You can criticize whoever Twitter's you want. Got, Twitter's gotten, I mean, Twitter's given everyone the, like just everyone's great and all these journalists are so wonderful and everyone else is like terrible and it's just like god i well, you know I, the there's, rule you know there's some people who there's other journalists who block other journalists because they're like i do not want to listen from them anymore they are like always tweeting their opinion on everything that happens yeah one thing i do like it's good for me too for calling out men i'm i'm what, all Twitter? for that yeah okay. it's great uh and uh no i i i'm i don't really partake in uh the twitter culture the one aspect of this thing i'll be talking to these other young journalists when they yeah. come in here today, but the one aspect that that I have to laugh at, and my, and my I'm sure let's say okay boomers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Every, <laughs> everybody's <laughs> not anybody. But you're Just, okay boomer. I'm a Gen X, so oh, I can say it to you. Uh, oh man! <laughs> but uh, this whole thing about you're not supposed to call them on the phone. I've been talking yeah, to D exactly. about this. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on now. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, why is that an invasion I, of privacy? I, so yeah, that's I'm why. with you on that one. I'm with you on and that. And that's one. why a lot of people felt like. Come okay, on, so you man. can't look up students' names in the directory, like you know, like things like safe space for my generation. That was not a word that we ever heard, and I understand the need for safe spaces. And I understand, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who actually worked. This is a colleague at mine at the Sun Times who worked at Northwestern and taught the Sherubs, and she told me she knew about this in this case a week before, mm -hmm. and she and we were. T I was telling her I understand the need for being empathetic because I'm part of a marginalized community being a Muslim, I've seen so many things wrong about the community that have been covered, just the, the terminology that's used and the way people equate certain things with terrorism or radicalism. So I understand that. I understand that. But I'm just saying covering a protest, and we're saying this, covering a protest is completely different than... And, you know, it's interesting because when we I was younger, when I was a young protester, I can't do that anymore. I protested the Gulf War. I, I was in D.C. Young Romana Hussein was a radical. <laughs> I have picture. Oh, yeah. I, I probably was like a lot of these students. I wanted my picture in the paper. I wanted to get arrested because I remember a mosque went to D.C. And I remember I wanted to get arrested. I'm like, I hope I get arrested. Wow. And then somebody's like, how are you going to explain that to your dad? And yeah. like, I, I, I remember I was saying, I don't think my dad would care that much if I got arrested for that. Oh, okay. But I think he'd still get mad at me. Yeah. He probably but then I was like, then I probably, you. oh, I guess I can't go crazy and throw things. So I, 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 I just, I, it's a very interesting time and journalism is changing and we do need to be sensitive. And I think these students had, had their hearts in the right place. All right. I let's, can tell you that. let's leave it at there. Cause we could talk about this forever. <laughs> Two journalists in a room could talk about journalism forever. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you about, uh, it was in the Tribune, not the Sun Times. I didn't see it in the Sun Times. FBI releases commander Burge record from decades old probe. Uh, this ran in today's, uh, Chicago Tribune. Very interesting story yeah. by Jeremy Gorner, uh, who got a hold of FBI files uh, that the FBI collecting about the former, uh, police commander, John Burge, who'd been tortured. Uh, suspects, black suspects, uh, and forcing confessions out of them. We are still dealing with the, mm -hmm. the fallout over this. This went back, goes back to the what the seventies, seventies, eighties, and even I think yeah. in the early nineties. A very revealing uh, uh, memorandum in the FBI files about the FBI knew about. Uh, yes, they, they said that they said that there were John Burge was on their radar since. This is according to Jeremy Gorner's uh, story that he was on their radar since the early nineties, mm. which is over 25 years ago 
And I think there was some commentary in there about how the allegations were too old for them to go after mm. John Burge. And it, so this is the early 90s. And his perjury and obstruction of justice federal case, which I covered, didn't uh, he didn't get charged with those uh until he didn't get charged with that until 2008 and it you know as everyone remembers and he got convicted in 2010 for lying and so it wasn't even about the torture itself it was about lying about the torture mm -hmm. the actual case and i remember covering it and i can tell you there were some veteran journalists who were there i sat next to john conroy some from days the from the reader, reader who actually mm -hmm. broke the John Burge um, allegations, didn't he? Like in the early yeah, 80s? He did the groundbreaking yeah. um, investigation. And there were, I can tell you, there was a veteran TV journalist who told me that John Burge was very popular with reporters. People would hang out with him. And so a lot of people blew off. There, a lot of reporters even blew off the allegations when John Conroy first reported on Isn't that interesting coming out of the conversation we just have about how no, I reporters agree. on their high horse. I agree. Just throwing this that out there. This journalist told me, she uh -huh. goes, I, 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 you know, she said she has to hand it to John Conroy. She was telling me that people were just kind of, you know, people hung out with John Burge. He was a very popular, she kind of, I forgot who she compared him to, but she said he was somebody that was really popular and all the journalists liked. No, I agree. I'm not, I'm not, the thing is, I don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks means journalism is, you know, can't be criticized. I think journalism can be criticized. And that's why we're having all these, you know, all these younger students realizing that journalism hasn't always been yeah. done right. And it still isn't being all done right every day. Absolutely. And it's under siege and, right and now I, on so many fronts, particularly Trump. Yes. Yes. But it's like, you don't, you still cover, you still cover the news. That's my problem yeah. with it. It's like, you don't pretend things aren't happening either. Whether, whether it's a left or left or the right. Yeah. That's the way I see it. All right, it. let's go back to Burge. So, yeah. any, anyway, no, so the FBI said that too much time had been spent, so they felt like they shouldn't, they didn't have press, I don't know, they, they didn't have the authority to charge him, which is very interesting. And I just, it took years. And now I think we paid more than $100 million. Um, the city's paid $100 million. And, you know, in 2015, um, there was a ruling that, or, there was going to be courses taught in Chicago public schools about John yeah. Burge. And I think that, I think that started in 2017, but yeah, it's interesting. Like I said, I, I, I sat through the trials and none of these, a lot of these men who were tortured, I think, I don't know, just as my personal opinion may, and I'm sure a lot of people feel this way because they're charged in such serious crimes. Like one, two men were the Wilson brothers. I think it was mm -hmm. who were charged with killing two cops. Mm -hmm. So they, I guess because they weren't seen as sympathetic figures, nobody really cared. Mm -hmm. Right. Or nobody really thought like this is like, and you know, and I, and I remember covering, I was actually looking at my old clips of course, the Sun Times is using a new computer system, a new word system. So it's like, I can't even find a lot of my old stories, but I found my, one of my old stories on the site and they said a former detective tested. I remember, I don't even remember this, but I wrote a story about how a former detective testified at this trial. This is a guy who worked for Burge and remembered coming into police station and heard screams coming from a room. And then he saw this man with footprints all over his body. Oh my. So he mm. was a he was a former detective who testified against Burge. And I remember some of the men who were tortured testified against Burge too. And I remember Burge's testimony as well. Yeah, it's very true. He denied he denied um that he beat beat police uh, and beat suspects up and he just said that he just threatened them. And then he said something like, I never met a sophisticated criminal. And the other thing I remember he had a boat named Vigilante. 
Do you remember that? Yes. I so he had a boat one. named Vigilante, and I remember there was a woman that he had on the boat once, and she testified that he bragged about torturing suspects, and he said he got that name from a computer-generated list. So you, you know, you have to, um, you have to really work hard to not believe all the stories. You know, it's not like just one story no, or two stories. There's, three, a, there's, there's many a multitude. Men. You have to go work overtime to not believe these stories. Yeah, and when I was at 26 in Cal, I was there for almost 10 years. There were still cases, you know, post-trial cases of these men who said that they were tortured by John Berger's underlings. So there were still cases pending when I left. And I remember I, there were just ca- old cases from the 70s and 80s. I think 80s, mostly 80s, but mm-hmm. I don't know if there's still probably some pending. Well, this, uh, again, I urge folks to check out this uh, article by uh, Jeremy Gorner. It's a very interesting article because uh, it's something else that uh, we talk about from time to time. How the FBI, through its own investigations, is gathering information. So much information. They have so much knowledge about things that happen on a routine basis. Uh, it, I'm just talking about now here in the city of Chicago. This goes back for years and years and years to the days when J. Edgar Hoover was the head of the FBI. And some of that information uh, gets released and other the information doesn't get released. So it's sort of like all these things that behind the scenes and it, 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 you know when we were t- I was talking about this with Dennis when you were walking in the room I don't know if you were listening but uh, you know John Cullerton just yeah. stepped down and Dennis asked me so do you think there's something to it and I go that's such a typical Chicago reaction there has to be something to it the guy's 71 years old maybe he really does want to spend more time with his family you know but you should have seen <laughs> Romano roll her eyes at that one no maybe he does maybe he does he's 71 but <laughs> there's just such an attitude in Chicago and I understand, given our history, why that attitude exists. And this just sort of undermines it. Uh, I mean, underscores it. Romana, when you when you read an article like the one that uh, Gorner wrote in the Tribune, where you have these old files, the FBI knew about this stuff. They investigated, but they had, for whatever reason, as you cited, they decided not to prosecute. They just kept it hidden in these files. Yeah. it's. I mean, yeah. I mean, you hear people with conspiracy theories and you think they're crazy, but a lot of times when you hear about what the FBI did or what our government did, you're like, these things can happen. Yes. So it's good to be skeptical. Sometimes I'm not skeptical and I should be skeptical. I think, I, 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 and I think just covering that case just, you know, made you realize so many people turned a blind eye to it or they probably just didn't, they didn't, pay care. Atten- they didn't care or pay attention. I mean, I, I know some uh, reporters, when I used to, I used to, my first job was at City News Bureau, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was a great um, training ground for young journalists. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we did was hang out at police stations. I hung out at Area 4 all the time because the cops were really nice to me there. And, but uh, there were a couple other areas. And, you know, I'm a person of color. I never heard any racial slurs, but some of my friends who were white said that they would hear racial slurs all the time. Some people, heard people screaming as well i they heard people screaming sometimes and they saw people i think i saw one suspect get punched once like cops just were trying to control him and they punched him and i i was just like wow whoa so to pretend that or i don't know it's i guess people just turned a blind eye to all this it's just interesting my next guest young thomas uh shuba has entered the room mr reefer as we call him on the ben (laughs) jarowski show he's going to give us the updates on everything you need to know about reefer uh but before we cut to him uh my favorite portion of every romana show reefer a really old term well i'm a really old guy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i'm just saying because i once i called it pot and someone 
on the desk, city desk goes, that's a really old term. You're supposed to say weed. And I'm like, what you're supposed I'm to, not, I mean, let's, you know what, when we bring them on, we'll ask him, what's the well, preferred I'm not uh, someone that really knows that much about marijuana. So I was just like, I know reefer is an old word. It is an old word. <laughs> now I'm an old madness. Guy. I love reefer. Like I said, okay, boomer. Um, so uh, what's your recommendations? Uh, I am really behind on watching movies but i do want to see parasite i still want to see pain and glory i do want to see the irishman and uh Man, you I have did, a lot of movies on your want to see list i know there there are a lot i do want to see marriage story too um when we were driving back uh, while we we're driving on our vacation uh-huh. of course mick wants to listen to podcasts so we listened to a podcast about the subject of the Irishman, the uh, the guy, the guy's stepson uh-huh. became, uh, I guess he was a lawyer for Ronald Reagan, I think, but he became a prosecutor and he wrote this book about his his stepfather, mm-hmm. the man who um, painted houses was. Yeah, I don't know. It was some it was a man that was accused of um basically luring Jimmy Hoffa to his death. Oh, you heard that? Uh, that's that you talk about podcast. O'Brien, Chucky O'Brien. Oh, yeah, O'Brien. sorry, isn't yeah. it that? Mick no, told no. me that's what the movie's about. Is it? Uh, well, it's a job yeah. about Jimmy Hoffa. No, that's, yeah. No, oh, let's, maybe it's he, Mick, yeah, he let you <laughs> stray on that one. Uh, yeah, no, he's talking, he's mixing up a couple things, but that's oh, cool. okay, but it's not about that guy? Well, okay, time out. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa is, a, I haven't seen I the movie, who, I'm seeing it tomorrow. I know who Jimmy Hoffa is, uh, But yeah, kind of, no, but the, the, a union, a strong union leader who disappeared and never, surfaced yeah and his body never surfaced exactly uh, no the movie uh is based on a memoir of a hitman and uh jimmy hoff is a character in the movie uh and uh, but uh there's a, a different thing that you were listening to having to do with a book that has just come out uh re- regarding the uh i think he's like a stepson or something yeah he to, is a stepson to jimmy hoff o'brien uh who, but isn't that the movie about him uh, no, no, it's the movie is no, 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 no. Oh, okay. The movie's not about uh, O'Brien. It's about the the hitman who is played. Oh, by, got it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, oh, I will see it tomorrow. I have a full report on yeah, it. Yeah. So you want to see it in the theaters, right? Yes, definitely. I'm going to go. So see it tomorrow. Mick told me he wants to see it in theater too, but I said he's going to fall asleep, which is what he does when we're at home, <laughs> and he thinks that's. I don't know if you guys fall asleep during movies. No, I, just, I don't either, and he thinks I'm weird because I think he's weird for yeah. not falling asleep. No, falling asleep. Don't fall movies. asleep, and he won't fall asleep. Uh, anyway, remind. Ramana Hussein, uh, thank you so much. Great job as always. Uh, Thomas Shuba on deck. We're going to bring him on. We're talking all things reefer when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. And this budget makes key reforms to Chicago's tax increment finance program, or what many people refer to as TIF. 
This year's additional surplus to the city is $31.4 million. But more than that, my team is undertaking a detailed review to reform TIF and align it more closely with our economic development needs and our values, accountability, and transparency. The days of the TIF slush fund are over. After years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back. Hey, everybody, it's football season. Ben loves football season, don't you, Ben? Yes, sir. What's Love it? football. What's ready that? set. 2020. Uh, uh, yeah, blue dog, so red dog. Okay, blue dog and red dog today. That's called an audible. Oh, that's called an audible, guys. <laughs> that means but <laughs> it's football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. The Sun-Times has always been your go-to source for sports, and now the Chicago Sun-Times is a proud partner of the Chicago Bears. Blue dog, red dog. <laughs> Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. And for a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet. Only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. I looked online. It's true. You can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash bin. That's suntimes.com forward slash bin. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, November 15th. It's just uh, hour number two is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for sponsoring this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's do it. It is Friday, November 15th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, Sun-Times Reefer Writers here, Tom Shuba, and it's the hosts of the Heartland Mamas podcast, the Heartland Mamas themselves, Heidi Henry and Murray Breel. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Tom Shuler, the pride and joy of Lincoln Park High, the pride and joy of Haven Junior High. When he was a little boy, he said, Daddy, I want to cover reefer in the state of Illinois. <laughs> wow. And his father said, Son, you keep working at it. You're going to do it. Well, he's the best damn reefer reporter in the city of Chicago. We're going to have him That's on. That's a cool explain. dad, too. <laughs> Daddy, Whoa. he was only eight years old. What do, you, what do you want to be, son? I don't want to be a firefighter, dad. I want to cover reefer. You got it, kid. You play your cards right, and that's exactly what you're going to do. And uh, that's what he does so well for the Chicago Sun. I have all these questions I've been waiting to ask. I tried to get him on last week, but he had a dentist appointment. But 
but I got them on now, and I'm happy to have them. All this, we're going to lay it out for you folks. Everything you need to know about reefer in the state of Illinois. Is it legal? Are they going to impound my car? Is the city of Chicago going to make any money about it? Who's going to get these licenses? Is it a legit? All these questions Tom Schubert can answer. Before we do that, D, you got an update? Absolutely, I do. Earlier in the program, we were so focused on J.B. Pritzker and John Cullerton, we forgot to talk about our Chicago mayor. This little light of mine, <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. Uh, okay. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. <laughs> Happy Friday, Mayor Lightfoot. <laughs> oh, Lori. The Chicago uh, mayor is ending her week out with a visit to the West Pullman. Well, she was at West Pullman in the morning mm-hmm. to break ground on a new state-of-the-art fire station. And then she uh, will be or already has delivered remarks at the Upswell Chicago Conference at the Hilton. And in case you were wondering, the veto session has ended. And no, Lori Lightfoot did not cut a deal with the state capitol to help us get out of that $838 million budget deficit. And no updates on what we're now calling Ubergate, <laughs> the time when Mayor Lori Lightfoot accused rideshare giant Uber of offering to pay black ministers in Chicago $54 million to help the company defeat her plan to hike taxes on single passenger rides offered by the service with no proof at all. Yeah. No updates on that, really, but our local editorial columns have been weighing in on it quite a bit. Isn't that right, Ben Jarofsky? Yes. Uh, wait, what is oh, that is correct. Anything you'd like to say? Oh, yeah, I'd like to say this. You know, uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot, we talked about this on Tuesday. She issued an accusation about Uber. as She's really walked back. And either it was probably based on something she misunderstood. Uh, and it kind of looks embarrassing. And so here we have a situation where... Uber is throwing out one set of statistics, and Lori Lightfoot is throwing out another set of statistics about uh, ride sharing and the amount of money we could generate from taxing it. And this is kind of relevant to what we're going to talk about with Tom Schuba to a certain degree, because they're banking on getting money uh, from taxes that have not even been implemented and instituted. And so they, there's a tendency in a part of mayors to exaggerate the amount of money they're going to get before they institute the tax. Why, you ask? Good question, Dennis. Because they want to be able to say they're fiduciary wizards who figured out a way to balance the budget without raising your property taxes. And that lo and behold, later down the road, uh, what we'll discover is they probably didn't raise the, the amount of money that they thought they were going to raise from ride sharing uh, or from reefer or from the casino, which we still don't even have a casino yet. And guess what they're going to have to do? raise your property taxes and part of this is also a result i'm going to throw this out there that they just absolutely refuse the mayors of the city of chicago mayor lightfoot mayor rom mayor daily before uh mayor rom to employ what i would call progressive taxes that my friends of the lefty persuasion uh really want them to do it's like carlos ramirez rosas advocates it stacy davis gates advocates it it's a you know go after the LaSalle street tax you know that kind of thing uh-uh don't want to do that negatory so they play this game. And so right now, the editorial boards don't know what to do. You know, they don't know who to believe. There's so many numbers getting thrown around. They're sort of like, well, you know, we think we believe this one. We don't believe that one. My advice to both editorial boards is don't believe any of them. All right. <laughs> Definitely don't believe the numbers coming out of Uber. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. Uber just is it, Uber's acting like they care about filling the coffers of the city of Chicago. That is not why they're in business. They're not in business to fill the coffers of the city of Chicago. And if they could do anything to avoid uh, having to slap a tax on their uh, passengers and maybe pass that tax over to like 
taxi cabs, they're going to do it. So there's a game going on. Dave Roder was in the studio yesterday. We were talking about this. That's a bonus that'll drop this weekend. They're just he goes. It's as clear as mud. Great line from Dave Roder. <laughs> so right, guess who won't be riding an Uber after uh, the show today? Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> he will not. Don't even have the little app thing. But we'll keep you posted on uh, Ubergate as the uh, updates become available. I, I think Tom Schubert has something to say. I about actually this. took an Uber here. Uh, very nice driver. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> but um, the one interesting thing about like the op-eds related to Uber that's interesting is if you have been on Twitter at all, which I'm sure both of you have. Um, well, actually, you're wrong about one of us. Uh, have you been on Twitter, young man? <laughs> yes, I have. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Uber is is you know lodging this like pretty aggressive paid advertising campaign. So basically, on Uber, as you're scrolling or on Twitter, as you're th- scrolling through your feed. You know, tweets will come up and they'll look like any other tweet, but at the bottom they'll say it's a paid advertisement. Yeah. And what they're doing is they're just linking to like sometimes editorials and like Crane's editorials and stuff to like, you know, that are weighing in on this whole. That are sort of on Uber's side on this thing. Right. So it's like they're, yeah. they're using this as, uh, you know, a marketing tool. Some yeah. Of these, some of these editorials yeah uh and my again one more time this is me speaking it's just me speaking i'd be a little dubious and skeptical about some paid advertisement that comes across your twitter feed but that's just me all right tom let's uh move away from ride sharing and talk about marijuana cannabis reefer pot whatever you want to call it grass what's your favorite term for it uh i i mean i call it i we call it pot a lot and i think that's like mostly just a word count <laughs> based in like that it's a small it's like three word. and it's just like a really colloquial understand it understood no term you know but we use weed we we don't use reefer i think it's a funny word though um herb ganja i don't think i'm not like there's like the language police police around marijuana right and that's like a lot of people who are like it's cannabis <laughs> and to me like that just like seems like this super whitewashed like rebrand thing you know that's yeah. like and so, you know, cannabis is kind of like the technical term yeah. that we'll use or like marijuana. No, it, it, it's like when a black people are referring to white people, they go Caucasians. <laughs> okay. All right. You mean white people? Yeah. Uh, you know, but suddenly everyone's official. Uh, cannabis, uh, as opposed to reefer weed, a pot, what's that with grass? Uh, I like herb. That's a good one. Uh, all right. It is very confusing. And uh, I think you've done an outstanding job of uh, trying to keep track of everything. And there's like three or four issues that I want to hit on. Uh, and I'm going to name them up top. Let's hope we get to them. Yeah. Uh, one has to do with um, how much money it's going to yield. The other one has to do is what, what's still legal and illegal. Uh, that's uh, unclear. The other one has to do, will the city of Chicago impound your car if you're caught breaking the law? I mean, these kings, you know, they said they were going to legalize it, uh, Tom. And, and, you know, every time I bump into the hallway, I'm like, what the hell's going on? I thought it was going to be illegal. Right. And and then, um, you know, will it, where will you be able to consume it in a restaurant, uh, et cetera, and so forth. And then there's this lottery that they held today, which I'm completely confused with. <laughs> so let's. You are I, not alone. Yeah. I guess we'll start with uh, the lottery. So, what went down today, uh, this morning, there was a lottery, uh, a uh, cannabis lottery. Well, actually, can we start first with, because I think this relates to kind of what you were saying about like officials. Uh, kind of over-exaggerating projections for his revenues can be made from something new. Mm-hmm. Um, Lightfoot has been like particularly uh, m- uh, modest about her projections for how much cannabis 
taxes. <laughs> so it's cannabis. We'll, we'll, we'll bring the city, right? So in her budget, her whatever 11 point whatever billion dollar budget, she uh, only projected that for the last four months of next year, sales will only bring in $3.5 million. And that's okay. an excise tax and increased sales taxes. Um, but actually part of the trailer bill is expanding that to it'll be six months that we'll be able to collect those taxes. So it'll be a little higher, but she's, I don't know why. I, I, I think it's to prove the point or, you know, to reaffirm the point that she's tried to make that like, this isn't the fix for the economic ills of the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. but they did the same thing in different States, Nevada. They'd like, they kind of like lowballed estimates and then they like, when they greatly exceed that, it looks better than like it fell short or we didn't budget them enough money for okay. this. So I was being unfair to the city of Chicago when I said they were uh, anticipating great revenues so far. But so I apologize. In this case, city of Chicago. Yeah. In this case uh, Uber is a different thing and the casino is something else completely. All right. So uh, they, they've lowballed the estimate. Uh, and they still, when you, when you talk about uh, the months, uh, I was a little confused what you were getting at the number of months that they can collect the tax. What were you talking yeah, about? Yeah. For some reason. And, and I'm not, exactly clear on why this is the case but uh, initially in the statute it only allowed localities to start collecting uh sales taxes from from marijuana local sales taxes for the last four months of next year i see <clears throat> and now next year they passed this legislation that expands that to starting in july so it's half the year i see i get you um i don't know what the machinations or what the reasoning is behind that but that's kind of just the letter of the law. If they can confuse you, they will confuse you. <laughs> uh, and uh, all right. So what was the lottery about today? Okay. So the lottery was about, I'll kind of start from the top here. So uh, under the mayor's zoning ordinance, the past, um, I think it was the last of end of last month. Um, the city was split into seven cannabis districts. Right. And so they basically just chopped it up directionally and um under the plan seven recreational dispensaries will be allowed in each of those seven zones Mm -hmm. so this lottery was to determine where uh the first recreational shops will be located so you know the big players in the game like cresco and pharmacan and gti that have multiple dispensaries and are while being headquartered in illinois have operations in multiple states. They're kind of, you know, at the crest of kind of the corporatization of marijuana across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically those companies had the best shots of, of, of getting the best choices for, for zone, uh, you know, zoning district locations. Right. And they did. Cresco got the first pick. Um, GTI got a bunch of the first, you know, I think, Mitch Dudak, shout out Mitch Dudak. He was covering for me and, and, and reporting at the actual lottery today. And I just had a brief minute to glance at his story that he just uh, filed. But um, Pharmacan had a bunch of the early picks too. So, and pretty quickly, the, the central district, right, that encompasses the loop was knocked out. All seven of those spots were taken. And it took, uh, I think Mitch wrote 21 uh 21 draws for someone to pick the far south side district. So everyone was kind of like, you know, central district, north side, northwest side, kind of areas close and adjacent to the downtown area. So in other words, uh, uh, dispensaries are not 
rushing to get the far south side because they don't think they can make as much money off of the sales in the far south is that what the issue yeah is? i mean i think the idea is like you know obviously so there's an ex- also under the mayor's plan there's a um an exclusion zone as they've called it that covers much of the central business district um so like you know michigan avenue you know the heart of downtown there can't be pot shops there and a, and a pretty big swath of downtown but there's still a portion of that central district that will allow for pot sales mm-hmm. so that's where everyone kind of like you know honed in on today um and it makes sense because you know uh people getting off the metro and going to Lollapalooza. And sell a lot of pot that way, you yeah. know, people, uh, tourists, people at conventions, people in town, whatever marijuana tourists who come here just to get legal weed and get it, go stay at the Radisson downtown. They can have easy access there. And then I think also neighborhoods, North side neighborhoods, mm-hmm. Wicker park, like Logan square, places like that, where you have younger populations and, uh, big retail districts. So these are the the areas that people really want to. I, I uh, that the dispensaries really want to be located because the market's there. The market's strong. Foot traffic, the amount of money that's being thrown around there. You know how much income the people who live there have. I think all of those economic factors play into like where they want to locate. You know, and uh, the exclusion zone. I never quite understood what's motivating uh, the mayor and her people to have an exclusion zone. Uh, it, it seems as though, follow me on this one, Tom, it's like they still have one foot back in the reefer madness era where people are scared and frightened by marijuana and we want to protect tourists from it from in, in the exclusion zone. When in reality, as you just explained, there will be tourists coming to town wanting to buy marijuana and smoke it. So I, I don't get the... Right the logic here and they curtailed the 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 exclusion zone during like the uh committee debate over the zoning proposal too they 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 made it a slightly smaller but so lightfoot has put up like kind of two different reasons and one is like we want the downtown area to remain this family friendly destination <laughs> as if downtown chicago is disneyland or something yeah. you know we as if bars you know yeah right as here. if like there aren't you know uh, five bars on every street and twice as many homeless people standing at every corner and drug sales happening on lower wacker drive and you know the the, the realities of what is actually existing downtown versus like this like fantasy whatever the developers (laughs) building property that want people to believe right but then the other reason that uh, you know has kind of been uh thrown out there is that maybe that exclusion zone will be cut once they make the licenses available to this next group right that will include these social equity applicants right so so the people from neighborhoods that have been ravaged by the drug war or, um, you know, people who have past marijuana convictions and stuff like that. So, like, maybe she's holding out to give that prime property to the people who are supposed to be benefiting from this state legislation, which that would make a lot more sense to yeah. me. Well, I w- wish they had said, the mayor or her uh, aides would have just come right out and said that we're holding back on this real lucrative territory because we want to make sure that people from uh, who have been penalized by these insane drug laws uh get it in get in on it yeah that would i think all of this is subject to change i mean like we'll see that there was such a tight timeline and and there was a lot of confusion regarding a lot of things on the state level and how they were going to translate and how how local authorities were going to handle it so 
I think this is kind of like one one foot in front of the other kind of process of like, okay, we have to do this first, and then we can do this, and then we can do this. And I don't think that that means that all of those steps can't be like retraced and readjusted. I got you. They're figuring it out. Let's right. give them, uh, I'll, I'll give them a little slack. Right. This. Like and like the best way to like uh, exemplify that is like uh, uh, Villegas, uh, who's the I think he's the floor chief for Lightfoot. Gilbert Villegas, yeah, yeah. alderman of the Thirty uh, Six <laughs> Ward. And so um, he introduced this really fascinating, actually, ordinance that. Uh, went into public consumption and really detailed a lot of important things that the city is going to have to figure out locally. And when he introduced it and then Fran started writing about it, he was like, oh, that was actually an error and that was shouldn't have been introduced. He pulled back. And he pulled it back. But like, so we have all of those things still to address. And some of the things that were being addressed within that ordinance have now been readdressed in Springfield. So some of those things that they had initially probably wanted to be a certain way will have to be a different way. So it's like, and one of those things that were was addressed in Springfield is was the subject of an article that you wrote in today's Sun Times with a great headline: uh, "State Gives Big Buzzkill to Bars Restaurant." Uh, it, one thing about legalization of marijuana has been a, a godsend to headline writers uh, <laughs> who are having a field day with reefer jokes. Uh, anyway, state gives big buzzkill to bars restaurants. I thought that was pretty funny. All right, uh, and. Um, so this gets at the attempt by the state to codify where marijuana can be smoked. And uh, so many people I know thought, oh, it's going to be legal January 1st. Man, I'm just going to go, I could smoke reefer right now and go walk down the street with right. it. It's not going to be that way. So explain where you can smoke marijuana. So the the idea of public consumption is really important in the wake of legalization for for a couple key reasons and and the most important is because um you know historically even post decriminalization right like when we stopped arresting people for small amounts of pot started ticketing them um black people were still so disproportionately impacted by um that type of enforcement right mm-hmm. and so if you let's say you have and Carlos's story from last week about CHA making clear that Ballesteros. You, making clear that you can't um, you know use cannabis post legalization in CHA facilities yeah. that kind of like is part of this whole thing right That's a so great story so CHA residents or homeless people or people who live in apartments where um, their uh, landlord won't allow cannabis use or tourists who are staying in hotels and want to use cannabis but can't in their hotel where can they do it right mm-hmm. is the question. They don't want to go outside. They don't want to be subject to a ticket, fine, all of these things. So that's where public consumption uh, spaces come in. And initially what the state had done was lay out something that was extremely broad and were basically kicking the can to um, municipalities to figure out how they wanted to uh, you know, regulate which, which spaces could allow for them. And the language was extremely loose, right? So it could have meant by the letter of the law that it could have been allowed in all of these places. And on top of that, it noted that that these places would have an exemption to the smoke free Illinois act. And which was, you know, a contentious law at the time that, you know, stopped people from smoking in public places. Mm -hmm. And so the lung people and the heart people and the public health advocates pushed back and 
Staines and Cassidy and the other sponsors decided we have to go back and we have to tighten this up and make it more clear. So what they've come to now is it can only be at dispensing locations, dispensaries. So, you know, they could have like a smoke room next door. You buy the pot, you go next door, you light up, you smoke a joint or at places like cigar clubs or that function like cigar clubs function now, Um, which is in itself kind of a problematic setup because it gives dispensaries yet another outlet for revenue, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and another opportunity to make money mm-hmm. and be more of a draw. And it also, public consumption spaces were supposed to be like, okay, this is a lower barrier to entry to the marijuana industry. I don't have to get a license. I don't have to get this. I can just, cook meatloaf with weed in it. People will come to my restaurant because they want Dang, my, meatloaf. my world famous meatloaf weed. That sounds good, actually. It sounds great. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's kind of gotten nixed, right? Yeah. And then you have the issue also of like, okay, so if you independently want to set up a smoke lounge, like a cigar lounge, yeah. where's your revenue coming from? A cigar lounge sells cigars, if you just have this lounge, you can't sell marijuana. You don't have a license to sell mm-hmm. marijuana. So I'm going to have a BYOJ place, bring right. your own joint place <laughs> that I don't have money to pay the rent for. Yeah. I just don't understand it. So in you know other states, I understand you know there's been weird systems set up at music venues or different places where it's like, Hey, make a donation and we'll give you this t-shirt. But the t-shirt comes with an eighth of weed or something. So it's like, you know, this kind of workaround thing. So we'll see how it plays out. I'm a hundred percent confident that this is an issue that's going to be readdressed probably more than once. Oh yeah. You know, we were finally seeing some restaurants open across the country that allow cannabis use and cannabis infused foods. So I think once kind of like the initial outrage and confusion over this whole thing wears off that uh, we'll, we'll see some progress. Well, there's a, uh, the second, this issue of secondary smoke. I know that before the, um, the state of Illinois banned smoking in public places, uh, I talked about this many times, the bowling alley where I bowl, which was unbelievable, Tom. I Where's mean, that, Fireside? I, uh, no, I bowl at a Timberlands. And it just, the smoke, it just, we, you just reeked of smoke. I mean, I don't, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, but, but it's like I smoked a pack, you know, when, after I was done bowling on a Monday night. And uh, so when they passed that law, it was, I was one of the happiest days of my life uh, well, in terms of laws. But so do you think there's a health risk with a secondhand uh, marijuana smoke? Yeah, probably. You're like smoking a combustible plant. But it, my, my whole thing is like, just label that you're a bar that allows weed smoke you know there's i mean there's still bars in chicago that people can smoke at you know i don't you ever think been that's to, the case they, you, if they, you, you haven't been to richard's pub well huh? I, if i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> about any bar but if they are doing it they are doing it i believe and i'm looking at my two next guests with the heartland mamas and they know these things uh that you're in violation 
of the law. You're not allowed to smoke. So, uh, right, they're, they're operating in violation, and I'm sure they just either know an inspector or they. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, I mean, a good example, but I'm just saying marketing so, something as like that's what this is for. Yeah. So, if you have an issue with these things, you probably don't want to come to this restaurant. But if you do like these things, then. I remember when the in. secondhand smoke issue was raised in terms of restaurants, and the there was a great push by some restaurateurs who did not want a ban on on cigarettes in their restaurants, and they said, "We'll just say, you know, don't come here if you don't want the smoke." Mm-hmm. And then the issue became, well, what about the people who work there? What about that the was bartender the and the waiters, the waiters and the waitstaff, waitresses, etc., and so forth? And so then they're being exposed to secondhand smoke. So I just don't know what the science is on secondhand smoke and marijuana. That was the whole thing. And you know what? I remember my dad. They they fought tooth and nail against the ending the smoking thing as a neighborhood bar and a small music venue. Yes, a lot of people like to go have a smoke and a I was on the other side you know so (laughs) yeah I was on the other side of that one and for once I won uh all right so we're still working this out you're absolutely correct I got a feeling in the next couple years there's going to be a lot of articles that you're writing on this one and that's what you know what and the Staines and Cassidy have both kind of framed it to me the same way and and Toy Hutchinson's who's who's now just started her role as the cannabis star which is like go back to every general assembly since prohibition of alcohol ended there's gonna have been at least one alcohol law alcohol bill that's gone through it's gonna be the same thing you know it's just it's always gonna be amended and changed uh and uh, finally i'll ask you about impounding cars uh the city of chicago Back, oh man, this is just a way to really put the screws on the poor people, uh, make them pay uh, uh, because they can't afford what's been ticketed. And so, what's the situation with impounding cars and marijuana tickets? Yeah, they're going to stop doing it, which is great. And you know, I talked to Ed Yanka from the ACLU about this, and he was like, you know, this is this antiquated drug war era policy, right? Like, this is like vestiges of the Reagan days type of thing, you know, like still in Chicago to this day, if you get caught pulled over and you got a joint in your car, put out joint, they can take your car, tow it, and you got to pay for it to get out of the impound lot. It's, it's completely (laughs) just antiquated and, and, and absurd. So Lightfoot has taken the step a to, uh, to, to stop the impoundment thing and B she's cutting the, so if you do, you know, we were talking about pot use in public and what happens with that. So if you are caught, you know, smoking a joint, I think the first offense is only a $50 fine now. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of cases now with how this changed and how police are enforcing this, that police are going to give people more breaks and say, put it out, come on, get that out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, same as if you were at, sitting in union park and having a beer during yeah. somebody's softball game or something. They'd be like, come on, pour it out. Get out. Yeah. You know, or just ignore you. Yeah. And that, that was kind of the framing of like what, what the cop who's like, you know, talked to me about this said was like, you know, part of this is just going to be informing people of what the deal is mm-hmm. because people are going to be confused. People are gonna be like, Oh, January 1st. Yeah. I know. It's legal. <laughs> going to go out and get high. Yeah. Uh, 
And uh, the last thing I did want to ask you about uh, it has to do with uh, the conflict of interest issue. I saw this in one of the stories uh, you wrote about uh, politicians uh, who uh, are involved in the sale of marijuana mm-hmm. uh, and uh, or with companies that sell marijuana. Uh, have, there have been rules uh, stipulated regarding governing that. Yeah, this was a wake of Patricia Van Pelt, state senator from Chicago. Um, it was revealed by, I mean, the in, incredibly intrepid, amazing, uh, aside from Marianne Ahern and Carol Moran, maybe the best TV news reporter in the state of Illinois, Mark Maxwell, um, that Patricia Van Pelt had uh, <laughs> this interest in this company that's called, this is, this might be its own episode, to be honest with you, but a company called Bucana, right? And, and they, they're, they're, they're a multi-level marketing company, right? And it's her and some other women who've been a part of uh, multi-level marketing companies accused of fraud, and they're purportedly selling CBD, but their their aim, their goal is to get fully into the cannabis industry and be a seed-to-sale cannabis company, Mm -hmm. right? And so, as this came out, and the Secretary of State's office announced an investigation into Van Pelt over this, um, they they tacked this into the the legislation. Um, But... Maxwell just reported this week that she's like still, still at it. So who knows what, what happens with that? But yeah, this is kind of just a way to make sure that while you're in office and directly after you're in office, you can't have an ownership stake in the industry. And there was something that I noted in there about, um, state rep Kelly Cassidy, who was one of the key sponsors of this, who's another Chicago, Chicago Democrat. Mm -hmm. And, um, her spouse, Candace Gingrich, Mm -hmm. who is, I believe, the sister, yes. the, 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 si- the sibling of yes. Newt Gingrich. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse my pronoun yep. usage there. Sibling of Newt Gingrich. Younger sibling by yeah. considerable years. And um, uh, she's working for a company called Revolution. Mm-hmm. And Revolution is uh, a, an Illinois-based company. She's working in Florida, and she's in some sort of vice president, sort of weird, long title executive mm-hmm. role. But because of the fact that that subsidiary is technically operating in Florida and she has no ownership stake, she's not subject to these conflict of this. They are not, excuse me, I'm very sorry about that. They are not um, subject to these conflict of interest provisions. Right. And so Kelly Cassidy, who is been on the show many times and was the leader of the effort to uh, legalize uh, marijuana in the state of Illinois uh, is not in technically breaking the law. And it was so funny because I remember when the Sun-Times broke that story, I was laughing because Kelly had a great run at the in the legislative, uh, I forget which session. She was leading the way on uh, the reefer bill, uh, some criminal justice bills, I forget which other she one. She was the all-star. I mean, yeah. people, patted, people patted Pritzker on the back after that, but like, Cassidy was really yeah, and it is sometimes had a headline Wonder Woman. They called yeah. her Wonder Woman. She, I, I they did a lot. They did yeah. a lot the last session, and she was at the heart of a lot of it. But yeah, I, ju- I just want to apologize, apologize again for misusing any pronouns here. That that was, I, was not me- was not meant to be offensive C- in any way. Uh, Candace Gingrich has just texted, you're forgiven. Uh, (laughs) All right. Uh, She did not actually do that. I just made that up. Uh, Tom Shuba, it's a pleasure as always talking. We're going to get you on a regular basis as as much as we can get you back on the show to give us updates on this cannabis uh, 
I'm being really professional cannabis, Bill. Um, <laughs> Way to I go, buddy. Did I tell you my, my good, many of my good friends are Caucasian? Did I tell you that? Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, uh, Caucasian uh, cannabis users, yeah, right? Caucasian cannabis. Ooh, I love the C's. Uh, anyway, great job as always. Uh, Tom Shuba in the Sun-Times. You can read them uh, and spell that. Let's see. You, do you want to give out any information where folks want to get in touch with you or follow your stuff? Any uh, information like that? Uh, yeah. Any tips? Any uh, just insults, any, uh, <laughs> movie recommendations, oh. any, uh, T Shuba, T S C H U B A at suntimes.com. S U N T I M E S.com. One right. word. I'll give you the movie parasite run. Don't walk to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I lo- I love, uh, it's Boon John who ho, right? Yeah. I've seen a bunch of his flicks before. That's correct. Wow. Um, Very well done. I've seen, I've seen the host, which is like a really cool, like Godzilla yes. sort of thing. I've seen The Handmaid recently. That was cool. Okja, which is on Netflix, and then Snowpiercer. I don't know if you've seen Snowpiercer, but that's like one of the best movies of recent years. But I haven't seen Parasite yet. Well, I'm stunned because usually when I say parasite, nobody knows what I'm talking about. But not only did you uh, know what I'm talking about, you yeah. trumped my ace with yeah. all that. Well, I wanted to go. I was supposed to go last week in Logan, and I uh, my buddy dropped the ball on me. So oh, run, don't thanks. walk. So thanks, Max. Yeah, Max. Come on, Max. Get yes. your game together, boy. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a great movie. I urge you to see it. Tom Shuba is his name. He covers marijuana for the Chicago Sun-Times. We got the Heartland Mamas on deck. They're ready to rock and roll. We'll be right back with the Heartland Mamas. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Hey, podcast fans. I mean, I'm assuming that's you, right? You're listening to this podcast. I don't know if you know that or not, but you're a podcast fan. That's official. The Sometimes Political Web Series, The Franz Spielman Show, is now available as a podcast. The Franz Spielman Show features weekly interviews with the lawmakers, journalists, and others who are shaping our city. Fran shields nothing back. She goes deep into City Hall to bring you, YOU, the real scoop on Chicago politics. And now you can listen to her show on all of your favorite podcast apps. Head to City Hall with Fran and get even more great political coverage from the Chicago Sun-Times. Listen and subscribe right now. 
at suntimes.com forward slash Fran hyphen show. That's suntimes.com forward slash Fran hyphen show. Welcome back to the Ben hyphen Jarofsky hyphen show. <laughs> Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. One of our most popular features on this show are the Heartland Mamas, uh, Heidi Henry Aww. and Marie Briel. Uh, you guys are regulars, and I appreciate you coming in. You're schlepping all the way out. I said, Dennis, I got in trouble. I said the boonies. He got so mad at me as a 618 boonies. Come and on. Uh, so I apologize. <laughs> I said it growing up. Uh, I lived yeah. in the boonies. Yeah, you live in the boonies. That's fine. You can say it. <laughs> I'm not it's all for the city it. says boonies. It's, comes it's offensive. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I'm well, I, see, I grew up in the suburbs and trekked out to the boonies forever. Mm. And <laughs> I grew up in the boonies and trekked into the city and then slowly back out to the suburbs. So I humbly apologize. And yet um, I said it. So I can't uh, deny that I said it. But your voices, I always tell people of New Deal uh, democratic values and beliefs in an area that's largely Republican. Uh, Heidi ran for state Senate. I, she was on my show 2,000 times uh, <laughs> against a woman named Sue Rezin, who's a little to the right of whatever. She's falling off the earth. She's so to the right. It mm -hmm. got 40% of the vote uh, Heidi Henry did in that uh, election last year, 2018. So I, I'm happy to say, I won't say boonies, uh, but I'm happy to say that Democratic values exist the good democratic values where you believe like government can help people you that's should pay what, your taxes etc and so that's forth. that's what government is all about it's to serve the people and sue resin who i ran against has lost sight of that completely so that's what i, I ran against i think it was when we transferred the myth of what government is government is governance in the best interest of the people and we embraced this narrative that government had to be run like a business in order to be successful. That when we put dollars and cents and special interests up against the citizens' interests, who was going to win? And we set this mentality with a lot of folks out there that, yeah, a businessman makes the best politician. <laughs> yeah. They make the best. No, not really. You know, <laughs> like I'd rather see a social worker who understands how the system works, who understands the government, who understands the needs, become a representative or a senator than a businessman. Uh, and then before we uh, take deep dive in the issues, uh, tell folks you have a podcast and also tell folks uh, where exactly you're from so they can put it in their mind's eyes. People <laughs> listen to us from all over the state, uh, all over the country, on but heavy concentration in Chicago. So sure. sort of place uh, where the Heartland Mamas are on a map, if you will. Well, we record actually in a studio on my farm in Marseilles, so which just underwent big renovation to make us more soundproof <laughs> because you could hear firm stuff in the background. And uh, so Marseilles is this little town about 40 minutes west of Joliet on Interstate 80. If you've ever been to Starved Rock, I would be a few exits before Starved Rock, uh, about four exits, I think, before Starved Rock. Yeah. And we're right out in that area in arguably one of the most beautiful areas of the state of Illinois, outside of the cornfields. <laughs> <laughs> and your area is Trump country, basically? Did it go for Trump? Well, it did. Uh, and it didn't go for Pritzker either. We had, and this is what I, why we started the Heartland Mamas. The Democratic Party does a terrible job of messaging out by us. And when I ran for office, our state party told me that they didn't need rural voters to win statewide elections. So that is the, the philosophy of the Democratic Party, both in the state 
and in the country. So if you ignore the heartland, the areas that Murray is from, where I live, you you leave us to Democrat, to Republican rule. Our sheriff's offices change, our state's attorney's office change, our county clerk's office change, our county board offices officers change, and we end up with a very red uh, group of people governing our our area. And we end up with active Tea Party still, even though we know the Tea Party doesn't work and that their philosophy is deeply flawed. Oh, that's even in Will County too. We yeah yeah so. So what Marie and I did is we decided to start our podcast because there was no money put toward messaging. The messaging they sent home with me to run for office is you have to tell them if it wasn't for Mike Madigan, we wouldn't have right to work because he's very vilified out by us. And one of the biggest problems is the, the one of the reasons why I got into my race and why we decided to do this is the heartland is being told it's a certain thing. And we're, we're rural, we're stupid, um, uneducated, we are meth ads, we're heroin addicts, we're farmers. And that may be in a lot of those areas, but there are so many other elements, as evidenced by Kentucky. The suburbs surrounding Cincinnati went remarkably blue. Mm-hmm. So when you ignore these areas, when Heidi went out to southwest Iowa and the DNC comes to this, this little section of Iowa, that they had given Joni up on. and Steve King, seriously? Mm-hmm. So they come and they and they turned this entire section blue, and the DNC came and said, "Hey, what can we do to help you?" It's that that we're, uh, we were tired of telling us what we want, where we are, who we are. And when I, my husband, and I, I know Rom did a thousand mile bike trip around <laughs> around Lake Michigan. <laughs> my, my husband and I did a yeah. two thousand mile trip through the heartland into the Great Plains. We went Iowa, Nebraska, uh, Missouri, and Kansas. And I really did talk to cafe owners, and I really did talk to farmers, and I really did talk to ranchers in Kansas, and I really did talk to people who do the work that are suffering from the policies that are left behind Everyday by... Everyday people who had voted Republican in the past. Everyday are done, and they're missing that message. The messages that that are there are resonating with people, and the Democratic Party isn't harnessing that correctly. We talk a lot about rural hospital systems, and in my area, we lost a rural hospital in Streeter, Illinois, and the Republican senator that I ran against never showed up for any of the meetings. Those people were just left without a hospital, so they're up to an hour from care. Now, when I was out in Kansas, they're about to lose six rural hospitals because they did not take Medicaid expansion. Now, they elected their new governor in 18 to try to get Medicaid expansion, but they didn't change their House uh, in Senate. So they didn't get legislation to sign for Medicaid expansion. The problem with that is that these little tiny hospitals that are no bigger than my indoor writing arena are closing at a rapid rate, and they don't even have EMS people who are trained to handle these very fragile people, you're likely to die out there because there is no care. Um, And we have to understand when we don't do, as Democrats, messaging in these areas, people die. So as we traveled around the country, Heidi made her trek there. We've been to Ohio, we've been to Iowa, Wisconsin. We always find the opposition. My job is to talk to the other side and observe and try to figure out, because I'm a studier of human nature, what makes them tick? Why is this? And we found that in our conversations, 
the most yay Trumpers when we remove words that have been tainted by messaging from the media, all sides of the media. When we take those words away, they agree with us. They're actually in favor of the things we're talking about. Ask, ask any of them what their favorite Trump policy is, and then try to disseminate what exactly do they mean. Now, the ones that are really, really super Trumpers, we have found across the board, are always angry about something. They're angry. They're usually very xenophobic. They're very homophobic. They're very racist. They're Evangelical. Very, they're very bigoted. They're anti- <laughs> Sorry. Woman, there, you know, there's something that they're mad at. That one guy just wouldn't get off the subject of his ex-wife, and that's why he was for Donald Trump because he understands him. And I thought, so these people are living vicariously through Trump and his cold and toilets, thinking that Trump's going to drop one off at their house. <laughs> well, what what I find interesting is that though, but you can talk it's to people. In the like, mail. So one of the things we did when we were at the Trump rally was we this this person was like, oh, it's the economy. The economy is great, and we said, oh, that's that's fantastic. So you're bringing home more in your paycheck now than you were four years ago. Nope. And he goes, well, no, I'm on disability. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I said, well, your 401k and your stocks are are are, are helping get you by. Well, no, I don't have any stocks. So most Americans don't. <laughs> my understanding is that the economy isn't just the Wall Street. It's all these other factors and they don't seem to be helping. Do you think that's good or bad? Mm -hmm. And inevitably they disagree with the policies, tariffs the same way. And so when we came to the Trump protest a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> right before Halloween, Heidi was awesome. She's a cowbell. She's a ringer. I went across the street to the counter protesters to listen to what they were saying. Now, where was to this? observe. Um, we were down by Trump Tower. Uh, okay. Oh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, us and a lot of our closest friends. Yeah. So go ahead. You went to the counter protesters to finish your thought. Right. So I went across the street, and mm -hmm. and to me, it's really good to observe and understand and and try to see, so we know what we're up against. And it was a very small group. There was. Uh, three uh, Caucasian people, um, one handicapped person, um, and two older women. One couldn't answer what she liked best. Uh, oh, she doesn't like what he says. She doesn't like how he acts. She doesn't think it's right, some of the things that he does. Yeah. But she was part of well, Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> okay. But the economy. So she didn't have an answer once I asked the same questions. Oh, so how much more are you seeing in your paycheck? What kind of tax breaks did you get this year? And they don't have answers to those questions. So the other woman goes, well, my, my, I got $6,000 in the market in the last six years. And I said, oh, that's amazing, six years. So did you begin your investment six years ago? Well, yes. I said, okay, and six years ago was 2013? Who was in office then? How long is your, you know, how long has the president been in office and what policies do you think affected the stock market? It's <sighs> mind blown. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a real eye opener when you can, because you just, you know, I always look at it like you're, you're making this spider web and you're just waiting for them to fall into it, but you want it to be a moment of self discovery so that they can say, you know what? I'm not better off. In fact, I'm worse off. In fact, when we were at the Trump rally, how many people did we meet that now had a second or third job, had a side hustle, something because they couldn't afford. And what we've, what. Uh, and this is, uh, when you were at the Trump rally, these are the, the Trump, Trump supporters. supporters. Yes. Go ahead. So, so when we went to the rally, what I, what I was telling Heidi was after the uh, Kentucky election, 
you know, that was a big part. We were in Cincinnati on that border. We stayed in Kentucky. And as we were in the rally, there were stories about lines spinning for miles. Well, of course, they had blocked off all but one entrance to a stadium. So it really wasn't. So a lot of what was there wasn't what was said. But what I thought, my biggest observation was, wow, we've been to rallies for all kinds of presidential candidates, for all kinds of different organizations. Mm -hmm. This was creepily calm. There was an eerie quiet. That scene from Soylent Green where they're just walking into their demise. Yeah. And that's exactly how it felt to me. There wasn't enthusiasm. There wasn't excitement. Even if you're just, I mean, if you go to see somebody... You at least expect to see a few people going, wow, I'm really excited to hear what Elizabeth Warren has to say about this. Or, you know, now let me tell you, Joe Biden's fans are also a little on the low key side. <laughs> uh, they're way low key. Yeah. But, but there wasn't. <laughs> and the, hard to find. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. There wasn't the energy you would expect. There wasn't flag waving and what everybody no. builds. And so when Kentucky went, I wondered if that wasn't a sentiment that fell over. They were going to observe, to get a feel. They weren't all Trump, Team Trump, the way he says they are. Now, if you go to Alabama, it's a very different environment. In in Marina, when we we do the Trump things, we we have a game we play, let's count the non-white people. You know, let's count anybody that's transgendered, if you can tell, you know. But so we we try to talk to people that aren't like, that don't look like us. Mm-hmm. And they're so few and far between. And across the board, they fell into, they fall into two categories. They're either uh, Pentecostal or evangelical. So it's a religious uh, abortion issue or they're very xenophobic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very anti-immigration. Uh, so those are the, the takeaways we've had so far. And we do try so often to talk to people, even when, I mean, I, I walk around wearing a shirt that says one one issue voter defeating Donald Trump. I mean, I wear that shirt deliberately. And, and, and which is great. It sparks some wonderful conversation. Not to a Trump rally. Yeah. <laughs> Typically, I had to tell her no to that. Typically, it attracts Democrats, liberals, people who are sick of Trump, wherever they fall on the spectrum, where I try to remove all of those hot button words left liberal. Well, we can't right. say, wait, what does the t-shirt say? It says, I'm a one issue voter defeating Donald Trump. And my husband has I love one it. too. She wore it down to the Trump rally I wore on the it way to home. and from because you know, I had I to sanitize Kentucky. myself. But you know, the, my, my husband calls it my drawer of pro- provocative t-shirts and I don't mean low cut. They're just things <laughs> that make, <laughs> uh, they're just things that make people think, you know, what is your reaction to that? All right. So, now, uh, uh, you were talking about words. I think, Murray, you were the one who raised this. Uh, you're talking about the words that are employed so often uh, that in, inflame uh, Trump supporters, get them really mad at uh, liberals and lefties and Democrats, etc. These are commonplace words. Triggered. Let's yeah, trigger. There you go. Trigger. Oh man, that's a millennial. We love no, trigger. because that's a book that just came out by Dumb and Dumber Dumbest. Yeah. yeah. So all right, uh, let's. What are some of those words? Left, socialism, progressive, um, social. Anything with a connotation of social, social safety net, social uh, health, space. 
So you can't even say these words? No, no, because I'm, 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 well, and and the words that really trigger them for the right, like if I'm talking to them, it's to use the right's buzzwords. It's to say, use Trump's name. The minute you use Trump's name, they become rabid fans. When you take Trump's name away from it and you ask about an issue and you ask about a timeline, not who's president, they give you an honest answer. And that's when you sort of open the dialogue. But when we say, oh, you conservatives, oh, you pro-birthers, oh, you, um, you know, fascists, neo-Nazi. <laughs> that ought to, that's a trigger word. Yeah, right? You really avoid those. <laughs> you would avoid you're, fascists. You're fascists yeah. you know? <laughs> and when we use words like, you know, socialist socialism, it gives them a chance to clatch on to something. But yes. when you describe a program, that's right. a socialist program. Like Medicaid or Medicare. Or, or, or disability Security. or anything <laughs> that they utilize. Public school systems. It's like Elizabeth Warren. Okay, so she explained it finally what or no it wasn't elizabeth someone else did but Bernie elizabeth Sanders. should use this oh no it's the i can't remember who you was. wrote the damn bill it's yeah <laughs> i wrote the damn bill <laughs> no, 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 no 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 okay <laughs> um <laughs> he explained the costs and he explained it well, as the way the tax. he well no he yeah well yeah the will the billionaire tax the yeah. uh wealth tax that they want to put in place and and basically the philosophy, the theory is you got where you are using public roads, public services, mm-hmm. public training. Right. You hire people that we educate through the system. You made your money yeah. on all of this, so it's only fair that you would pay more to give that back yeah. to that same entity. Right. And this is where you get Bloomberg and uh, Bank Capital Whack a Mole, whatever his name Patrick. is. Yeah, <laughs> coming out of the woodwork because it scares the hell out of the capitalists. It does. It well, really right, does. Well, all right, now, uh, okay, we're at one of my favorite uh, topics. I've been talking a lot about this uh, lately. I just wrote about it as well. And, and that is the opposition that uh, Dems have or centrist Democrats have to the Bernies of the world. And uh, so much of that opposition has cloaked has been cloaked in the notion that, well, it's not that I'm against what Bernie's for so much. It's that he's not electable. Oh, stop. Or Elizabeth Warren's not electable. And stop, it, stop, stop. It finally came to the conclusion, Heidi, it took me a while. You know what? You guys are just against what Bernie is for. Can I, can I say what it's really code for? It's code for old white man. Well, no. It's, not old I'm white Jewish man. Change. Old white man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared of change. And yeah. that's, that's what you know, it comes down to. down to the dollars and cents. Let's face it. Everything rolls back to money. And, and, I, and I'm not saying capitalism is a good thing, especially in a mixed economy. Every successful country in the world has a mixed economy. Mm-hmm. They have some government. It, they have government as a part of it. Um, capitalism is a part of it. Trade. It, it's just how we are. But when capitalism is allowed to run amok, as we have seen, mm-hmm. as with Citizens United, as with Wall Street and the bailouts, Super that's when we end up where we are in where trouble. Are. Now, and here's here's one thing I'm going to say about Bernie, because um, we I kind of fall into uh, the category of whoever primaries through, hopefully it won't be Gabbard or Williamson. Gabbard. <laughs> but, Getting yeah. the vapors from Gabbard. So, <laughs> but... Whoever is their next sitting president on the issue of health care, and I'm going to use health care because it's the issue that, as Democrats, we need to drive home. Um, we, the president, sitting, new, next sitting president, may or may not get universal health care or Medicare for all 
as a bill to sign. It's going to be dependent on what the House debates and passes and sends to the Senate and debates and passes, and then they pass it back and forth, as you know, and it gets to the president's desk. And what that looks like may not be what the candidate run, has run on. It may not be what Biden ran on. It may not be what Sanders ran on. It may not be, a, it could be a combination of any of those things. And we have to own the fact that we are you know, trying to predict what this is going to happen. We're also giving way too much power to the presidential candidates who, as we know, can influence this. But this is not an issue that can be done by executive order. So I'm saying that if Bernie Sanders is our next president and he gets a really good um, public option, mm-hmm that's been soundly debated and passed by both houses. He I'm, saying he's, I'm he's sure he's not going to deny it. Yeah. He's going to sign it because it could be a pathway to something better. So I think we have to get off the hair splitting, stupid ass way of debating healthcare and just say, God bless it. We all need healthcare. I've had major health crisis in my own family when my son was sick. Your wife was just sick. Mm-hmm. My husband had the same procedure in 2015. You can't imagine what it's like to be destitute poor from your from your medical bills until you live it yeah. and most people unfortunately have lived it at this point so oh i thought you were going to say something you're going to come in on that <laughs> point uh well it 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 seems as though the democratic party uh has has not reached a reconciliation on that, this issue of health care right. and uh, many of the other issues like uh, college tuition. And it seems like the split's getting further. Uh, Devil Patrick running and jumping into the race and Michael Bloomberg jumping oh, into the race sake. is so, an indication that the centrist wing of the Democratic Party is really worried. OK, that- so you know who has the money? The centrists. But I and I, I, I used to buy into that argument. I used to when I ran for, against Neil and Sarah and them. Um, I was more toward the center because I... I'm pulling her left. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> politically and the stand I would take, I was more left, but feeling the needs of the district, that's what I was mm-hmm. feeling it was. And Heidi is amazing, and she really hit it home when she said, you know, every time we move a little bit to, to the, the center, center. Mm-hmm. we're actually moving to the right we're yes, moving to the absolutely. right and we've gotten to i mean why in the we, and this was one of our episodes why in the heck are we arguing about a right that was decided in 1974 mm-hmm. that a woman has autonomy over her body why are we still fighting it we, we are fighting this because the republicans have decided that this is the divisive issue that they can win elections on well, period and the lgbtq issue that oh was just God. in front of the, the supreme court i you I, know the discrimination issues all right now uh let's since we're are rattling off the issues. I'm yeah. really curious how how the impeachment proceeding is playing in your neck of the woods. <laughs> Notice I didn't say the boonies. Uh, and in your neck of the woods, uh, I'm a, pretty much obsessed with it. Yes. Uh, and so which, I have know, to say, it, uh, it played real well in Jewel. <laughs> I was uh, I had a bug at the beginning of the week, and I yeah. had to go get my kids. They're in a play tonight this weekend, and. I had to go bring tr- you know some snacks in for them and uh, and I couldn't leave the, the hearings and my earbuds were dead so I had it playing so I could hear it while going through Jewel it was just propped up on my cart the looks I got yeah. people and then I'd have people go ooh what's going on what's happening oh, so they are interested <laughs> they oh, yeah. are and this oh, yeah. is in we're, Jewel in Plainfield Illinois okay. I mean yeah. you know I had it on in Jewel and Morris now <laughs> I oh geez I would be terrified to have it on in Jewel and Morris you Why? are a Woman. It's Sue Resin's home uh, uh, city. So it's, uh, but you know what? Morris, come and talk to me about it. I'd be delighted to talk to you about uh, 
impeachment. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it, but it's interesting because out there it's a crapshoot. You don't where I am. It's it's more likely I'm going to get people who are. Yeah, no, this needs to be investigated at the very least, mm-hmm. um, more so than witch hunters. But if I go a couple miles west, well, I'm in it, witch hunter land. Mm. And it, so what's the reaction? It's <laughs> it's the talking points, the very sad defense that the White House has attempted to put out. It's that it didn't. Well, now the last the last few days, it's been. Well, it didn't actually happen. The the he didn't actually go through with the deal, so it, there's nothing wrong. We have uh, again the narrative. If you take that out, I was trying to think of this on the way here. I was thinking, what's a good parallel? What's a good correlation to the impeachment, but in normal terms? Mm-hmm. So let you know. I'm I'm trying to think of a scenario where someone does something they shouldn't do, and lay it out parallel without it being the impeachment information and i'm guaranteeing 95 percent of people would be like oh no they're bad but you throw his name in there you throw that in there and and then as we watch the republicans um cross-examine if you will and we heard him go clear back to john Kerry today so john Kerry, bill clinton hillary clinton (laughs) they brought in john Kerry. no his name they brought him up as a uh, all the way back. Bad actor. So, yeah, so he was corrupt. He sent his political campaign, sent people to Ukraine, Ukraine. and Russia to talk. Mm-hmm. So he it's must all have, Ukraine and the Democrats did the election that made her lose. So they're setting it up for Donald Trump yeah. all the way back to John Kerry. So they're so desperate. I told my husband, I said, if if uh, they mentioned Benghazi today, I said, we're going to have vodka sours for dinner. <laughs> we're going to toast to those. <laughs> Uh, and the other thing uh, that I've noticed uh, when uh, the uh, could, the Fox or the conservatives uh, cover this, the, the newest thing is that it's boring. That's, that's so boring. Nobody cares. Well, so do many- they want a song and dance? Do, do we do springtime for Hitler? Didn't they refer to Mr. <laughs> Kent as Mr. Magoo or Goober <laughs> or something with his bow tie? Mr. Kent, I know Mr. Taylor has an amazing resume. He was well-spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some moments that I think just even thinking back through all the information he had, it might have looked like he was forgetful and they could go after him the way they have others. But Kent, Kent was a rock star. Oh, just like Kent Ronovich was today. perfect in the way that he said everything. It was, I'm answering yes without answering yes. And it was beautiful. It was clear. It was, it was he concise. was a rock star he yesterday. Was, he was perfect. And Yovanovitch today was just amazing. But when I hear that it lacks pizzazz, I, you know, I'm just wondering if we're, are, are we expecting a chorus line? Do we have to be entertained about such a serious topic? I have topic? some friends from Vegas. Maybe we could get some, <laughs> some chorus lines behind. Well, I think I mean, it's just their way of uh, demeaning or yes. uh, marginalizing or trivializing. Marginalizing the process. The process. And, and the seriousness of the crime. It, uh, Which is why I'm very glad that the rules were established to have counsel have 45 minutes. Yeah. And today, Adam Schiff shut Devin Nunes down because he tried to yield his 45-minute introduction time into... Um, to a representative, uh, right, their counsel, the Republican. No, no, no. The, no it was the, it's the representative, and and he's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, it's you first, then the counsel. Yeah. That's all. You can get it later. Yeah. And and I have to say that it's nice to watch the hearings as an attorney questions because you don't have the grandstanding of yeah. the reps. 
We have the Heartland Mamas in the studio. We're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to talk about some local issues. Uh, John Cullerton stepping down. I know Heidi has a few <laughs> things to say about that. Uh, Hello, and, John. Uh, uh, and since it's been our, <laughs> since it's sort of been our theme today, uh, marijuana, reefer, pot, whatever you want to call Woo! it. How's that doing in the Heartlands? We'll be right back. Awesome. <laughs> The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We've got the Heartland Mamas in the studio, Heidi and Murray. Before we get back to them, Young Dennis, an update? Uh, yeah, just a quick uh, few things here before we roll out for the weekend. First off, like we do every weekend, right? Oh, this weekend, at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites are Benny J bonus interviews, all right? Every weekend, we give you guys a little extra uh, interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews. Ben Jarofsky, we have uh, David Roeder. He was in yesterday. Yes. Yep. And uh, I'll give everybody a little uh, sample of what David Roeder has been uh, covering po uh, po planning and labor issues in the city of Chicago forever. And so we broke down almost all the development deals in the city. So really a deep dive uh, in the development deals that are going on. Also, some labor news as well. Oh, man, there's about six Chicago political junkies listening right now. Going, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, no, I can't wait good. for that. The good deep dive. Uh, Rotor knows his stuff. Uh, you know, what? what is the city doing in terms of subsidizing uh, the development of the areas in and around the loop? It's an old game here in the city of Chicago. It's still going strong. Uh, and then uh, we're going to have uh, Colin Boyle will be coming on. He's one of the uh, young journalists from Northwestern uh, who was at the forefront of, oh, my God, the, the um, brouhaha over whether journalists should apologize to protesters for uh, taking their pictures and using them in stories. Uh, the apology, we've been talking about that a lot in the, the show, so we'll be talking to him about that. And we have a couple political activists talking about the effort uh, to defeat Mitch McConnell. So a lot of political. It's uh, our Benny J. Yeah. Bonus interviews, uh, 6 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday and 5 a.m. on Monday. Also, uh, if you missed out on the week that was in Chicago and or Illinois news, we do a little thing called, oh, what a week it was where we give you a little recap, uh, Ben and I, our news, to uh, kind of get you caught up before a brand new week of Chicago news begins. Also on ChicagoReader.com, it's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. The article is titled, A Losing Strategy. Ben Jarofsky, tell us what this article yeah, is about. Yeah, I was talking about this a little bit with Heidi Murray, and this has been on my mind. I've talked about this a lot on the show. Uh, so I'm dealing with the realization that I finally had, I just, I confess this to you, uh, Heidi, uh, that the Democrat, uh, the, uh, the mainstream media does not want Bernie to win. And uh, I've been, correct. Yeah, thank you, Robert Mueller. Uh, and uh, you know, I've been denying this. I've been arguing with my friends of the lefty persuasion, my Bernie uh, Sanders uh, friends. Uh, and what 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 hit at home 
Uh, it was just on many different things, but what really hit home was last week I was reading uh, the New York Times, a couple columns in the New York Times. Um, one really uh, pertinent to what you were talking about, uh, you, the two of you were talking about, uh, Tim, Timothy Egan, who uh, comes, who has a sister who works at a Walmart uh, in Oregon, and she cleans toilets, uh, makes very little money, has no health care. Uh, she should be voting Democrat just because her economic uh, interests are at stake here in the election, and Donald Trump is most clearly not meeting them, and yet she's a Trump supporter. Uh, and Egan uh, confronts this and comes away with the conclusion that she's a Trump supporter to a large degree because she feels offended uh, by uh, the Democrats and the rhetoric they use in yeah. de demeaning her. And so then I, I'm struggling with this. Okay, well, then you should maybe advocate that she vote for Bernie Sanders because of all the candidates. And I've been following Bernie for a long time. Yep. He's the most open about saying, I am not uh, trouncing Trump voters. I welcome Trump voters. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of things in common. Uh, he's been speaking this way since 2016. And yet uh, Egan doesn't, uh, he talks about Buttigieg and <laughs> like, man, Buttigieg. Uh, and then, and then, in the next page, they advocate. There's a columnist uh, who's advocating Michael Bloomberg. Heidi, there is th the last person in the world that this guy's sister is going to vote for. That I wrote about this is Michael, Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg yeah. Michael Bloomberg is the guy crusading against people who for drinking too much sugar. We can argue all day or night whether that's smart legislation, bad. Le the point is, is. Oh boy, Egan just got finished talking about how his sister hates it when Democrats tell her how to live their life and what to do, what's right and wrong. And then on the next page, they're saying, hey, support this guy who's even more of that kind of candidate. The, the only time a billionaire politician works is J.B. Pritzker. I, I'm going <laughs> to say straight up. Bloomberg. Okay, I had serious reservations uh, during the primary and about a billionaire coming into power again. Yeah. Knowing his philanthropic background, knowing <laughs> a lot about his family um, personally and, and You're talking about professionally, professor right. Yeah. I still, I, I knew, you know, that there's a genuine, but we talked briefly about the business theory that running government like a business is a good idea. And typically billionaires are focused on running things like businesses and that terrified me. And I was really waiting to see if we would go down that road because Businessmen make lousy politicians. And I can say, I have to give uh, J.B. Pritzker props. He has impressed me more than I, I thought no, he would. J.B. Pritzker free to has be the game. Uh, <laughs> Dennis and I talk about this all the time. Yeah. He's, he's got instincts, political instincts, that uh, are, are impressive. And he knows how to duck and dodge when we ask him a hard question. <laughs> and he's just a charming guy in many yes. ways. So that gets, gets you far. Now, when I, when I talk about Michael Bloomberg the way I do, I, you could make an argument why you think Michael Bloomberg is the best candidate for president. But I'm saying, just in that specific issue, that the New York Times was addressing, which is how to get Trump voters to vote Democrat. Michael Bloomberg is not, in my He's humble opinion, the guy. He's the absolute opposite. So you, you made a great point. You said you feel like the media just doesn't like Bernie Sanders, they doesn't want him to win. Yeah, they, they don't, don't like give his him, ideas. Right, his ideas. So I think you're absolutely right. But what about Warren? They've done the same thing to her. They've marginalized her. They've pushed her to the side. Every time she gets up in the polls, they latch on to Joe. They latch on to Buttigieg right now. Joe, they're worried about Joe because of how he's been doing. So now they're going while well, Buttigieg is, you know, 
well, doesn't it, have, so he's Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So here, here's the thing with attracting Trump voters. I don't know that you really can. You're going to get some of the suburban moms, I guess, that may have gone Trump, but you're not going to get everybody. No, nope. oh, oh, uh, uh. After being in Ohio at that rally and seeing that suburb and talking to people in Iowa, I think we're going to get Trump voters. And I don't think they're afraid of what we stand for. When you say we're going to get, I mean, any candidate who's running is with the D-Nick. Any candidate. I I really think that It could be Dennis running and he'll get the Trump voters. I'd vote for Dennis. Yeah, no doctor. I would vote for Dennis. (laughs) Dennis for president. Okay. All right. Can my dog be your vice president, Gigi? Let's do it. Let's do it. Dr. D and Gigi. Yeah. I, I think the next election is going to be a, um, a mandate against Trump. Mm. I don't think it's going to be a mandate for any one candidate. But I'd like to, to just mention that when we do talk to folks, regardless of the Democratic, and when we take those terms and that angering away, these and we talk about Democratic policies without saying it's Social Security or Medicare, or you remove that, they get excited. They're not opposed. They're okay with the Democratic policies. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Logically, they're like, that's a good idea. I completely agree. The right. minute you mention red, they're like, I, I actually uh, agree with what you're saying, Heidi, that the, the, the next election is a referendum with Donald Trump. Right. And so you're either for him or against him. I, and, I think uh, it's insane. A lot of people are going to. A lot of people are going to have to hold their nose if they're against them and vote for somebody whose uh, worldview differs from theirs. So for me, I may, I, well, I always end up voting for centrist anyway. <laughs> That's but, what makes it the uh, primary. You know, yeah, and, <laughs> but I also want to say to the centrists of the world, it's a two-way street. Right. So if uh, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders is the nominee, you I better expect get you her. to get see, you, know, you know, all yeah. this crying about Bernie Sanders voters who didn't vote for Hillary mm-hmm. in 2016. Let's see you step up right. and uh, and vote for Bernie this time around. Well, and to, to your point that you were making earlier about Bernie not getting the coverage that he's not, I that he deserves to get. And I, I feel really bad that the press has kind of decided what we're going to hear and what we're not going to hear, right? And that they've picked their favorites to run in this and that they put him in as as a spoiler. And some of that is going to be holdover from, uh, I'm going to put this in your quotes, the Bernie Bro syndrome that we all experienced after the last, during the last election, presidential election cycle. There are some people that were really burned by that. And pardon the pun, (laughs) including myself. I had some good friends of mine that are like, well, it's that or bust and I'm done. But (laughs) it is, you know. And and it's like, you know, to me, it's like, it's so clear. It's, it's, whoever or Trump. So whoever, and I used to say before my Pomeranian died, I used to say it's, you know, Toby would be a better president than, than Trump. And he had about the same hair, but I, he's more ethical. Yeah. yeah, Very much. He was a very ethical dog, but I, I just feel like I know there's a lot of candidates and I think some of them are in there just to drive Trump nuts. I really think Biden's in there just to yank his chain, just to distract him. I yeah, really think I don't after meeting Joe. No, I'm pretty sure that's not he it. He was amazing when we went to go see him. She didn't like him because he gave a very flat uh, foreign policy speech with a very flat voice. She's a speech. <sighs> Wait, tell me about Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, we went out to see him in Davenport and I thought his... Talk about, I think they gave quaaludes out for all the guests. <laughs> there well, wasn't like a cheer in 
tight. Had, like, we had we had such a serious, serious topic that day in foreign policy. And but we there really, was a way to make it fiery and passionate. You yes, you can't you be can. a table pounder when you're talking no, you, about people uh, dying. And oh, no, dying. not when they're dying, yeah. but absolutely about how he would change it. And when you talk about when he talked about the she, importance Marie of the... Marie went to college as a speech major. Quiet. No, I didn't. <laughs> when, By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Heartland Mamas right here. Yeah, it's the say. Heartland Mamas right here. Shout out to our live stream chat uh, chatter guy, person, Stephen. He says, uh, golly, I like these ladies so much. I'm at my desk just nodding like a weirdo. So <laughs> <laughs> let's talk to That's heartlandmamas.com. Yes. Heartlandmamas.com. That's where everybody can reach you. Yeah, and you can we're on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, iPod. Podcast? YouTube if you want to see me make funny faces. Yeah, right. I, I right. am hilarious on YouTube. Is it, is it weekly? Monthly? What Twi- do we do? Twice a week. Twice a week. Twice a week. Twice a week. Cool. Mm-hmm. Is so. there like a specific day when it drops? We usually Mondays and Thursdays. Okay. Some, sometimes it varies a little. And we try to keep it to a half hour. And sometimes we have to do doubles, like when we did the Federalist Society and when we, we did... Took a deep dive. Yeah, we do, we do deep dives, but we also cover local politics. We cover social issues. All right. So before we let you out the door, yeah. uh, I have to ask you the John Cullerton question, Heidi. Uh, John Cullerton has just stepped, announced he's not going to run for re-election. He, because, of course, of course, he wants to spend more time with his family, which is code for, I'm about to be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Two-second <laughs> two introduction. Uh, the minute I went I the s- other way. I went the no. other way. I, the, went, I said, I'm... But, uh, the minute I read his statement, his yeah. interview... He was lying. And you know how you can tell? Because people who tell lies about something create too many details. He's a liar, liar, pants on fire. Just want to go on record. But anybody who tells a, a tale. Not a big fan of John Cullerton. If, yeah. you're, if you say you were late to go somewhere, right? It's not, oh, sorry, man, I was late. If traffic, whatever. That's it. Mm-hmm. But if you're late because you didn't want to go or you did something else first, then you make up an elaborate story, right? And in those articles, he talked about being Grandpa Hootie three times. Yeah. All he needed to say was the beginning, jovially, kindly, warmly, and go. So, you know, and and within 20 minutes, Pritzker and the DPI both had... Thank you. Bye, Felicia. Yeah. Responses. They were polite, perfunctory, but no warm and fuzzies. All right. Here's, I, I've already said, I believe him, that he wants to spend more time with his kids. Oh, well, and as soon as I choice? said it, I said, <laughs> I know everyone's going to make fun of me for being naive, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, but They all want to spend more time with their kids. No, he very well Including made. Danny Solis. Yes, Danny <laughs> wants to spend more time. You're right. You're right. Look at the mass exodus of senators that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Will County. Pat McGuire, safe seat, no problem on transportation committee. He he has a long future ahead of him. He decided to write four petition season. I'm not going to run. That was right before some of the investigations started to be turned up. We noticed that there's a concentration. Not that that he's involved in any way. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that we've seen uh, Jennifer Bertino Tarrant decide to leave the Senate and go to run for Will County Executive. We've seen Toy became the the weed czar. But we have seen an exodus of Those senators. Those are three connected districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then, it's all Soder Will County. So you might want to keep an eye down in Will County <laughs> okay. on the transportation bill. And, and the thing is, uh, Ben, is my issues with, with Cullerton, and, and I just want to clarify for the audience, because I ran for a Senate seat in the middle of, of Red, Illinois, and uh, he baited me into that, into running. You know, they wanted they wanted me out of the way of somebody that was running for a house seat that they did want. And so he promised me the moon and the stars and the sky. 
based on the fact that I'd had horrible financial issues when my son was so ill, and then took that and pulled their support right after the primary so that they could uh, put somebody else in that didn't do the work. And that was okay if you explain it to me that way. But when you threaten my business, my reputation, my children, my farm, you're going to get, number one, I don't back down from stuff. I've been a horse trainer my whole life. At horse shows, you have no friends because the people, all the people there, the adults there want your job. So I've been fighting and a scrappy fighter my entire career. So when you come and threaten me, you can say anything you want about me. Don't you go after my kids. Don't go after my farm because I'll eat you alive. And he, um, you know, at the very end, he stepped back into my campaign and offered to run a, um, a poll for me. And we said, okay, you can run a poll for me. I didn't even want to take his call. And he doesn't always do this stuff himself. He sends his bulldog out to do it, to intimidate Who is you. now no longer there. Oh, is he gone? Yeah, Campbell's been gone for oh, so God, He was a waste of air. Anyway, so I, um, I took the call, and him and Campbell promised me that th- we would be able to see the, the verbiage of the poll. The call was on speaker, we all heard. There was about 30 people in the room. Well, I had the, no, it was the, the I had county the, Democrats. We had the whole There's, Democrat. We did it in the Democratic... Um, county office for Grundy County. So everybody could hear because they knew what I had been through with them Mm -hmm. and they knew how hard I worked. And when they asked me to drop out, I called all of my seven county chairs and I asked them and all of them backed me and all of them wanted me to stay in. And they all gave me unbelievable support when our state party didn't. And what happened on that is they sent out uh, a poll tying me to Mike Madigan, who I do not know. I have nothing to do with. I've been in the same room with them three times. Mike Madigan is poison out by me. He is absolute poison. And then they tied me to animal abuse. I have spent my life rescuing animals and rehabilitating injured and abused animals. And especially, especially abusing a horse. Oh my God, I would never, I would never. So to do that to me, to make sure that I couldn't beat Sue Resin, it wasn't about taking back that seat. It was about making sure that I had no chance to win it. So you can say a lot of things about me that weren't true. Yeah, I busted my ass to save my son's life. I spent myself into oblivion. I wrote a few checks I couldn't cash, and I did it purposefully because my family and my horses had to eat. But I've made good on those checks. I paid $240,000 in medical bills off rather than going through because bankruptcy. Because that was before. Well, it was before ECA. I was afraid if we went through bankruptcy that they would withhold treatment for my son. So listen, ladies and gentlemen, I busted my ass for my family. And I have no regrets about that. And for him to drag me through the mud and make me look like a horrible person, shame on him. So I know he's a liar. He's lied right to my face. So I have no use for John Cullerton, period. All right. I had a funny feeling you were going to say all that. (laughs) Uh, We're going to close it down. It's been uh, a great interview, a great day, and a great week. But we got to get out of here. We have bonus interviews to do. Uh, Heidi and Murray, thank you so much for schlepping in. Slapping in from the boonies. Oh, not a lot to say. <laughs> say the boonies. I'm from there. I'll say from the boonies. We don't mind, uh, actually. So. All right. All right. Okay. So I got permission. All right. Go ahead. That's all right. Fine. No, I won't say it well, anyway. Where he's from. No. Uh, and, 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 yeah, where he's from. I also want to thank uh, Tom Shuba, outstanding uh, reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, Ramana Hussein, uh, every Friday here at the Ben Drafts Show. And, of course, oh. 
What? It looks like we have an update here, actually, uh, since we've been talking about it all day. Okay. Reefer, cannabis, Ooh. marijuana. What do you guys call it, by the way? Pot. Uh, well, it's, it, they will, everybody would like to use the term cannabis because it incorporates yeah, different, yeah, yeah. different types. I still call it weed. Right, I'm, go I'm going on. old school. I'm going to call it dope. How about right, that? Dope. Dope's all good. Right, all right. So we got an update here. And, uh, well, if we were to put a title on uh, this segment here, this would be called, If Producer Dennis Worked at Popeye's. <laughs> Here's the story. Man says he found half-smoked oh, joint. And Popeye's sandwich. <laughs> hey, whoa! We talked about how to make money at a cannabis cafe. Yeah, <laughs> you, you sell brownies, and I don't mean. I mean, oh I would like God. to have the ice cream stand right next door or inside the building. <laughs> All right. Do you want the Girl Scout cookies oh did in California when they first legalized it a, medically? Wait, they went on. outside of the dispensaries and sold Girl Scout cookies. Wait, is that, is that a, a real headline or is that the Onion? Oh, it's a New York Post. Man says he found half-smoked joint. <laughs> Popeye sandwich. Oh, right. How did I get to New York so fast? <laughs> Hold on, this happened in Ottawa, Illinois, at the McDonald's. Somebody oh. got a happy you, meal with their pot. There was a there was a right before <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> so or right before Halloween, there was a big bust, and it was uh, headed into in Ohio, headed to Philadelphia, I think. And they were weed laced nerd ropes, oh. and they were it was just an edible product. Wow. But they were worried that they'd be given out. So there was this whole, and I'm like, I want a trick or treat where you go. Yeah. I would like weed laced nerds. Nobody's gonna. <laughs> Be awesome. Nobody's going to hand those out. They're too expensive. Yeah. Right? So I, <laughs> I was roommates with a few weed lace nerds. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, all, heartlandmamas.com. M A M A S. Heartlandmamas.com. Stephen and all those who enjoyed this interview, go check Thank them you. out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, guys, you guys are awesome. And Stephen and all enjoy the interviews. Remember this the man who makes it possible. From Alton, Illinois, the pride and joy of the 618. Back home, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself <laughs> a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you on Tuesday, everybody. Reefer Sandwich. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jaromsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, we live stream this show. Yes. And boy, I'd say last two weeks, we've been killing it on the live stream. No mess ups. Oh, it's great. You can find it at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Be sure to check out our Vinny J bonus interviews this weekend. Three of them waiting for you. And oh, what a week it was. If you missed out on the week that it was in uh, the Chicago and or Illinois news, we will see you Tuesday. That's correct.